How often it is that the angry man rages denial of what his inner self is telling him. From Collected Sayings of Muad'Dib by the Princess Irulan. Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. With each chapter, we open up a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club here, Derek. Hi, Mike. We're cruising right along through the desert. We're on chapter 44. And I know. We got another bottle of rosé, right? Oh, hell yeah, we do. Well, I was actually going to say this for the last one, but I forgot to buy more wine, so this is what we have today. Bucking it out. Emergency (laughs) wine. We'll get another one for the end. So this is a Madame Liberté, and it's a sparkling rosé. I thought we'd leave off on a... Yeah, a little bubbly. A little bubbly. It says here on the back, Lady Liberty wasn't France's only gift to America. So was... uh Oh, uh-oh. Method Champenois? Sorry, guys. Perfection. 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 <laughs> uh, I assume that's some kind of champagne. It's a method of, I think it's like the method of champagne winemaking. Okay. But it's not champagne because it's not from the champagne region. Right, right. Um, traditional exacting French techniques and the finest grapes in America produce a sparkling wine second to none. Madame Liberté Rosé opens with floral aroma that lead to flavors of ripe strawberry and a zesty finish. French heritage, American made. Mm, okay. I, li- I mean, I really like it. Yeah, I like it too. I mean, I definitely get the zest. Have you already had some of it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very bubbly. When that, like, I can I can kind of get the strawberry through that beginning. Yeah, okay. Uh, and then it's just sort of like a burst at the end. I don't really know what to credit that to. Hmm. But it is like, a, it's a lot going on uh, with a very clean finish. Yeah. But I like it. Madame, very refreshing. Madame Liberty. Well, definitely thank recommend. You. Thank you, France. <laughs> is there one little gift to us? <laughs> All right. Well, Mike. We're uh we're very far along in our adventure. We are, but hey, oh, we still got more. Yeah, what do we got? New patrons. <gasps> Pause. Slow the roll. <laughs> oh, I wish I had a sound effect for that. Maybe I should get one. <laughs> a little worm horn. Yeah. <laughs> so coming in at our spice wine enthusiasts, TS is coming in. Oh no! Oh yeah, TS has sent us a few messages. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you said wine enthusiast? He's a spice wine enthusiast. Spice wine enthusiast. Oh, that's awesome. And it sent a little message as well when he uh, hopped on and joined RCH. Yeah. says, uh, hey, this, fellas, this is long overdue. Since I uh, finally caught up on being on the current episodes of the podcast, oh. I figured now's the time. My God. That's a lot of Mike and Derek to listen to. In that is a, I, I, that's more than I'm comfortable listening to. I pity most of our spice wars. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, I'm no. so glad you've made the journey. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, now, oh, my God, so he's got all the Between Two Dunes to dig oh, into. Oh, yeah, so they love the excellent content, uh, amplifying the enjoyment of the series as a whole. Can't wait to see, like, how this rolls out when the movie comes along. Oh, my God. Uh, and they just finished Children of Dune after the holiday intermission, and they'd love to see what happens with the rest of the series that we do. Oh, so he hasn't gone on to God Emperor yet. Uh, probably just wrapped that we'll up. We'll probably be doing it here soon. That's fair. can only ma- yep. Oh, this is great. Mike is going to lose his shit when redacted. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I know. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, if you're at, if you're at Children of Dune, you you'll see. I've already laid some tracks to get Mike there, mm-hmm. um, and prepped him on some things. Uh, but that is awesome. And I yeah, 
I mean, we're going to be on Doom Messiah before we know it. And we have some yeah. good plans for going forward uh, into what I, oh, I finally get to say next season now, right? Yeah. Yes. That's exciting. Too. Yeah. Uh, for especially some more Patreon content. I mm-hmm. think that's the thing we're going to focus on growing the most. But so glad you're there. Glad you're enjoying them. Uh, and now you get to vote too and tell me what you want to hear. Ah. So, uh, yeah. Welcome to Little C.H. Madame Liberté, this one's for you. Well, adding a new Spice Worlder to the Siet, we'll let him get comfortable, get settled in. Let's head into this chapter, Mike. Hell yeah. We got a quote at the beginning. I think we can pretty well judge what it applies to in the chapter. If you want to take a swing at that with oh. our, our angry man who rages denial of what his inner self is telling him. Who could that be? Uh, it's probably Paul, right? It's probably <laughs> Paul. Yeah. It's certainly Gurney. Mm-hmm. Um, I, d- I don't know if you can make a stretch to uh, apply to anyone else, like possibly Stogar, I but know. Like, he doesn't I... really have anger as a, a motivating emotion, right? Yeah. I don't know. Could you apply this to the, the rest of the Fremen? Ooh. The ones that want to see Paul call him out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, or even the ones... I wouldn't say it's rage, though. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to like color the anger part. Um, Fremen angst. Yeah, yeah, but maybe some of the Fremen that are, like, the ones who uh, challenged Paul kind of deal, that that, oh. that group that is sort of opposed to him being the Mahdi and stuff, of, like, guys, you know, it's all true. Come on. Mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. accept it. But, no, certainly Gurney is the standout yeah. where we're going to end up meeting with him and Jessica at the end. <laughs> He's just not willing to accept she's not the betrayer. And Paul will kind of talk him down from the ledge there. But let's uh, go right to the beginning here. We're going to have Jessica set the scene for us, and she's going to do this twice in this chapter, which mm-hmm. I, I like. It's whenever she's alone in the room, she just takes a second, looks around, and lets us know what it's like. Definitely a part one, part two kind of uh, chapter. Yeah. Oh, very and like black and white difference, right? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> like Once you pass into that second half, you kind of forget the first half happened. But you're like, no, this is a, this is a pretty long chapter. Too. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's a good chunk there. When this chapter started off, did you get a sense of, like, how much time had passed? Or did you question it, having Jessica being suddenly up here? Because last we knew, she was in the South. Well, Cheney went to go visit her, or get her and talk to her in person. Mm -hmm. So, what's that? That's the 20 Thumper Journey, or 18 Thumper Journey? They were Uh, already two Thumpers deep. No, no, no. Uh, They didn't use that worm for that, though. Oh, they didn't? No, because remember, we went to the basin. We went back to the... uh, the like call this council instead. So we went back to Habayana Erg that night because we left them going to the nightly prayer. Okay. So you don't park the worm overnight. Uh, <laughs> like it, you you got to let them go. It's a they ca- get tickets. It, it's a catch. Yeah. <laughs> you get a transfer slip yeah. uh, from your worm. Yeah. Uh, so like that worm was, it was wasted. Like what we kind of touched gotcha. on. This legendary worm did but, nothing. <laughs> We, that's not what the legends are going to say. No, not at all. He just rolled over all those auto car while Paul tore him apart by his fans. Um, but yeah, so we at least like, yeah, the distance was referred to as 20 thumpers, 10 days. So right. like at least that amount of time or no, it would be 20 days then for Cheney to go down, Jessica to come back. Oh gosh. Yeah. Right. So uh, fair amount of time has gone by. We're going to get one more reference to the time that's passed when Jessica looks at the coffee service. She says Cheney has touched it within a month. Oh. Which I was like, okay, I'm glad Frank included that one in there. So, like, we're somewhere between 20 and 30 days. Okay. That's a good way to look at it. Well, and we, we've just been so far removed from, like, we got pretty good track of time right. until we did a two-year leap into the future. And <laughs> we're like, I don't know where we are, but now we're kind of keeping pace again. Because, uh, like, 
There's not much left in the book. So I want you to be aware of how much time is passing from when this moment goes right. until the end. And we're um, at about three years since uh, everything went down. Yeah, yeah. We're definitely three years from like when we got, or um, yeah, from like the Gaius Helen meeting even. Yeah. Uh, and then like the two years on Arrakis itself. Mm. It's pretty wild. So Jessica looks around and we're in this assembly chamber in Cave of Birds and the place is packed. And it has the energy of when Paul had killed Jameis, like that fight energy, right? Oh, yeah. There's like a charge in the air kind of deal. And Jessica, though, she's hefting in her hand. She has this message cylinder. It's a Harkonnen message, which I read to you last week, pretty much what the contents of this message were. Right. Um, but it's a little mysterious right at the beginning. I'm just like, ooh, what is this that we're How dealing with? How long have they had this message? I don't know. Um, it, it must be very recent. Uh, and for some reason have been delivered to like the Sayadina or maybe brought into the Siege in the South. Well, and Jessica brought it with her. Cause I thought that Paul like sent for her knowing that like, Oh, the time to strike is now. So do you think he either knew they were going to get this message or, uh, Paul does it based off of him dealing with Stilgar. Because okay. he put Stilgar in his place. He, like, we decided how we were going to end this situation gotcha, yesterday, gotcha, right? Gotcha. And uh, a lot of things changed all at once. Like, he changes the plan on the fly last mm-hmm. chapter to get us where we are. Because he's like, all right, I won't go south. We're going to go here. And, yes, it is, like, everything starting. And it's all going to happen within the next, like, um, uh, I don't know, a couple months. Uh, yeah. We're, we're planning for war because, like... Um, Jessica remarks that she uh, she wanted to come up on an ornithopter, but wasn't allowed to. Uh, <laughs> Gotta save that. Yeah, well, yeah. Paul wants to save the fuel and the aircraft for the day of maximum effort, which is like... <laughs> God, are you bringing back the uh, For the rest of the book. I'm sorry, I only got a few chapters left. My <laughs> I don't, no, I don't me. like it. You can break me when we get to Messiah. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like it. Uh, but I just, one, I really like the day of maximum effort. Uh, I, I did look up, I was wondering, I'm like, is that something Churchill said about World War II? And I couldn't find anyone to attribute it to, uh, except the Battle of Britain. There was someone say, calling mm. that like the day of the battle of like maximum effort, the day of maximum effort oh. during that. Um, but I, I couldn't find anything more famous, which I was hoping for. It sounded just very cool and interesting that that's the way Paul phrases it. Um, but then he brings up, um, a weird thing for us. Giving, we did the background of the ornithopters having this mollusk that powers it. Right, right, that's right. Pure encyclopedia. Because they do need fuel. Yeah, Paul says fuel. Now, it could be food for the mollusk. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just that, like, particles in the air. <laughs> Shut up, Mug. <laughs> yeah. they, they shake the rugs out in front of the doctors yeah. to refill it. <laughs> A little spice rug. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. But so Paul doesn't want to be dependent on our world fuel, mm-hmm. which makes them normal machines. And that's, I, I can see it. I dig it. Um, questions how they got that one running that was like buried in that uh, thopter cavern, right? That him and Jessica ran Pro- with? I mean, how old was it? Probably not that old. Probably not. They probably do like a general upkeep, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. But I wanted to be a mollusk so bad. <laughs> it would be good. Now, so back to Jessica here, kind mm-hmm. of looking around the room. Uh, everybody's in like little cliques, right? They're all kind of grouped up. And yeah. she sees Paul, and Paul is surrounded by a group of younger Fremen. The glow globe gives it a tinge of unreality on them. And she says it looks like a tableau. Do you know what a tableau is? No, I was going to ask you about that, actually. Yeah, it's a vocab word for me. Uh, it's basically like um, a, a group of models or motionless figures representing a scene from a story or from history. 
So I think it's like a live action nativity scene. Uh, but so like some plays will do it too. Where like uh, it referenced one where a play had like the first act is basically like a series of these where the curtains close, mm-hmm. open, close, open, and you know they take different things to show you like a montage of something happening oh. without having to like do it or like have any acting into it. You know, mm-hmm. we just quickly show you the sort of history or kind of deal of like famous. Po- you know, you can think like um, Washington crossing. Uh, Delaware. I, yeah, I always wanted to call it the Rubicon. I'm just the like, what? <laughs> Washington did not cross the Rubicon. Excuse me. I got a really small view of history, Mike. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so the Delaware. Thank you so much. Washington <laughs> on the Rubicon and Kennedy in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> Leading the 10,000. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's a tableau. And like you can you can picture that then adding the glow globe light thing too it makes it very ominous yeah yeah and just or like supernatural I think is what it's more attributed to yeah I'm th- I'm thinking uh, I was just gonna go with sort of like surrealist in its like imagery of okay, just yeah, like you yeah, know yeah. accenting different colors and stuff that maybe you wouldn't notice otherwise um, just really interesting uh, then Jessica's uh, thoughts kind of continue and she lets us know us know that she knows Kearney's here. Mm. which is like a weird reveal to put in here, but okay. And it kind of is letting us know Jessica knows where this chapter is going, which Mike, that means Jessica's back. Hey! She's got a groove back. She's no longer book two Jessica. Like, I don't know what's happening. She knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. is telling us before it she, happens. She's got a lot of history to pull from, though. She, now she does. She's got some experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, she sees on the other end of the ledge... Stilgar standing with his own clique, and we get uh, some familiar words describing Stilgar. Inevitable dignity surrounding him. Mm. That's been his regular I, thing for I a little bit. I love that, yeah. You you can see it, right? Kind of, a, for me, it's always like him, the robes a little tight closed around him, you know? Mm. It's sort of like him in his own world. It's always this inevitable dignity. Jessica thinks to herself, we must not lose that man. Paul's plan must work. So, yeah. So, I didn't think about this. They have a plan together. They I thought d- they all had separate plans, but they, they've all been working on one, like, sort of, like, basic plan. Well, I, no, no. So, I think we had it right last time. We're like, they definitely all had separate plans because they never had the opportunity to talk. But in this 20 days, mm-hmm. while the, the three of them have been in the Siege the whole time, they've they've planned something. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Now, now I think now they, they have a plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At this point. But... As this chapter goes on, Paul goes off the plan. <laughs> he goes like, off plan. But then when it ends, Jessica just goes, yeah, that plan went worked well. And I'm just like, <laughs> it's like, okay. He just what? said, like, that wasn't in the plan. Exactly. You're like, choose one, guys. <laughs> but I guess I'm glad they talked. Um, this the, is a Duncan plan. Just fucking ride and die. <laughs> yeah, and jump out before it stops. <laughs> uh, I do love that. Uh, she, mm-hmm. I think we get a little bit more of uh, the Fremen vibes from Jessica. Ooh, in what in what way? Well, the thought of Gurney disturbs her with its memories of an easier past. Yeah, and um, I, oh, did I skip right over that? Yeah, because I, I did like that line in there, and that um, it sort of makes her reflect on how she's changed in these three years. Yeah, she's a different woman now. Caladan is like a long forgotten memory, and. I just love that even the presence of the idea of Gurney brings that up, let alone seeing Gurney. And maybe maybe why she brings it up so early is that, like, it's something that's really weighing on her right now, even. Like, knowing this is coming, and it's only going to grow in her while the rest of the events of this chapter happen. 
which are sort of tangential to her interest. Like this whole Stilgar thing is like, it's already planned out, but it doesn't directly affect her, right? Mm -hmm. It affects Paul, which is in turn her plan, but it's very centered on Paul. Now, Jessica goes to uh, approach Paul, right? And as she does, she has to pass Stilgar, who's on this ledge. And she passes, she doesn't even glance at him. And I didn't know if, like, what the purpose of that was, really. Hmm. Why she is, like, intentionally. Or if it's just her playing up her part and only going towards Paul. But it just, it, it bothers to say it uh, in the text. So I thought it was worth pointing out. Now, as she moves up, everybody is sort of like there's a silence that falls around. And uh, she attributes it to the awe the Fremen have of their reverend mother, right? And it's sort of a respectful and uh, I don't know what to say. Like, uh, they're a little afraid of her, a little intimidated. Maybe it's the word for well, it. Well, right? I mean, well, maybe. I think just it's, not just, it's not just Reverend Mother. It's just like she's, you know, the weirding one. Oh, I, 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 I was, I guess we we never saw them with Romalo. I was attributing it to how they would uh, treat any Reverend Mother. Just because they know there is something, like, different about them. Right. Like, and on a level of like, no, that woman can like connect, talk to God. You know, she can like go into the Alamo Mithal, see things I can't ever imagine seeing right. kind of deal. Just a respect or fear of that power that they, they can't possibly understand or have. But they would be aware of through the Tao. Yeah, yeah. When they're all like got this oneness and connection. Now, Paul's crew, they also part as Jessica approaches. Like everyone gives her a wide berth. And uh, Jessica, she looks over them, and this Bene Gesserit axiom comes to mind. All men beneath your position covet your station. And that concerns her. But there's something else going on in this clique, right? Because when she looks at all their faces, none of them covet Paul's station. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just like, (laughs) that's probably more concerning. That is more worrying. Um, So she has, like, another axiom come to mind then. Prophets have a way of dying by violence. It's like, yeah, you're going to bind those right together. Because she very much doesn't want Paul to, like, take on this religious no, like the re- kind like of aspect. It was useful as a tool to get to where we are, but that's not where we're going. Exactly. She wants it to remain fully in the realm of the political, right? Right. And get us back into the Imperium. Now, the reason she approaches Paul, though, is she tells him it's time, and she hands him this cylinder. So again, like they had to have talked. Paul knows what's right. in this cylinder already or something. And uh, we're getting to the point where it's like, all right, we're going to call out Stilgar. And we just did this last chapter, but for some reason we got to do it all over again. <laughs> and it's like, it's more or less the same people that are here. Granted, some leaders have showed up. I bet. I mean, I think it's a ton more, isn't it? Yeah, 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 it is. But I just mean that it's weird that we're in the same set of just like the same community is still here. Well, but you are right. We're gathering like uh, some other tribes. Plus totally before, no in. other Fremen spoke up. It was just Paul and Stilgar talking. Uh, like other people yeah. were listening for sure. Yeah, but yeah. like this is a formal address to the rest of the community. Mm-hmm. You think that's yeah, kind of and for more. the people that weren't at the front of the worm. Definitely. I didn't hear it from Operator all the way at the tail. Oh, I was right. like, oh, did you hear what Moadib said to Stilgar? I heard it third hand from Chat the Leaper in the relay. Like, Stilgar's already been killed. He's left <laughs> yeah, back there. Yeah. I'm surprised surprise. when he saw Stilgar in the cave. Like, <gasps> awkward. <laughs> People at the end of the worm always get bad news. Just the worst. <laughs> Shai Halud Operator. That sounds <laughs> wonderful. Um, at this time, uh, the men start to think... Uh, 
it's time for Paul to call that Stilgar. They think right? it's going to happen. They're all they're all talking about it. And uh, one even says they think Paul a coward if he doesn't do it. Yeah, you have to call him out more deep. And this, oh, I love. So Paul's like, shit, I got to get control of the situation. He goes, who dares call me a coward? And his hand flashed towards his knife hilt, Chris knife hilt. Uh, silence kind of just filters out among the Fremen. <laughs> the whole room starts to get real quiet. And uh, Paul then, he leaps up onto this ledge. So now he's standing kind of above everyone. These are, these. Are, I feel like these are the lessons he's learned from Leto. This sort of like presentation. Like we've learned the Mentat. We've learned the Swordmaster. We've learned the Benny Gesserit. This is the politician in him now. Yeah, yeah. Like really feeling that. And like, it makes me not think like, oh, Leto wasn't there. Like Leto definitely had an impact and influence on Paul that I think I always forget about. It, he's never had the chance to use any he of really those skills, hasn't. right? Like yeah. the situation's never called for it. Situation's called for everything, but <laughs> uh, you know we've never needed diplomacy, right? And uh, Paul can tell the people they're all tired of waiting. Like, and this is very similar to Jessica's thought, uh, one in the beginning of this chapter, that energy in, but mm-hmm. also just that um, the profit and uh, religion and politics being in the same cart. It's going faster and faster. The little raids aren't enough anymore. Mm-hmm. Remember all this stuff building up. Like, even when we were coming back with Stilgar from Tuano Basin, the young men had been, uh, you know, they were eager to get home. They're all riled up. Like, mm-hmm. all that is still relevant to where we are now. And Paul, he has this cylinder. He thinks about the message inside. And it's from a hearkening courier, uh, as we've learned from Jessica. And uh, the message was explicit. Raban was being abandoned to his own resources here on Arrakis. They could not call for help or reinforcements. It's like it's time. But, again, we got to deal with Stilgar first, right? Mm-hmm. We have this big issue. So before we deal with this message, Paul raises his voice. And he tells, just tells them all, you think it's time I call out Stilgar and change the leadership of the troops? And before they even get a chance to be like, hell yeah, we do. Like, do you think me that stupid? Not even me, like the Lisan Al-Gaib. That stupid. Just throws his words at them. And like, again, silence blankets the room. Like, you, none you of know them. there's like some firmness in the middle of a chair and they're like, oh. Oh, yeah. No yeah. one expected the insult comic to come out. Like, mm-hmm. Paul's never done this bit before. And he's just putting them all in their place. And Jessica sees right away of like, oh, he's taking on the religious mantle. Like, he should not do this. And I'm like, I don't really get that. Uh, like, I don't see that difference here. What she's getting at. For, really. I think it's for her plan. He must not do this. Maybe And again, but are we all in the same plan? <laughs> isn't no. that our whole point? Not at all. But right. Already, it's sort of like this isn't unknown to her. So clearly, Paul is doing his own thing in a way that she wasn't aware of. And uh, the Fremen push back on Paul's sort of unilateral decision to, like, change their ways. You know, they're like, we decide when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Paul counters each time. And he is using the voice while he does this. Jessica notes this. So Paul's manipulating these people, which I think is just very, like... On a huge scale, though. On a really big issue. This is kind of a dark moment where, like, this isn't for the best of the tribe in a way. I think you could make that argument, but I think what Paul's doing is very selfish and is misleading to the Fremen because he's using this power on them. So they, they don't even know what he's doing to them. They're able to sense the power, though. What do you mean? Like, uh, James is able to tell, like, 
like uh, when Paul tried to use, uh, or when Jessica tried to use the Jessica. voice on him. Well, yeah. Difference though of like, I think degree and skill in doing it. Uh, so like, I feel like Jessica's was like, meant to stop your muscles from moving right mm -hmm. this is just to sway emotion like i i, I get a little charisma bump yeah yeah it's just like oh why are we oh, yeah i'm kind of happier it's almost like it is just persuasive i i don't know how to like uh maybe just making them the more difference. receptive what do you no, no yeah of like to the i just i'm just thinking that like this is uh him using it but it's not power or not forceful enough that you notice kind of right. deal just like, yeah, I'm putting on a light coating of the voice. Just a little veneer just, of just the a voice. Just <laughs> a little spray. A little spritz of voice. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Jessica just cues in on this. And uh, one of my favorite bits here is when Paul tells them, like, so they're like, you know, we'll tell you what's changed. We will have the say. And Paul's like, yes, yes, you guys will say. But first you'll hear what I have to say. <laughs> and I'm just like, ooh. Like, ooh. That's a, a very much um, a very management kind of situ uh, station to take. I'm just like, oh, yeah, you guys can have what you want after I have what I want because we're doing it my way. And, um, okay. Now, at this, Stilgar kind of does speak up finally, uh, and he's confirming that this is Fremen way. Each Fremen can be heard in council, everyone. This does count. And be like, all right, I, I don't know why Paul gets to speak first, though. I think the guy who spoke first should speak first. Um, yeah, maybe, right. Maybe we, hear, we hear the guy without special voice powers. Um, just like, Are you Lisan Al Gaib? <laughs> oh, all the Lisan Gaibs, please take a step forward. <laughs> <laughs> now, ultimately, uh, Paul is ready to throw his main argument at them, and it's sort of built off of the good of the tribe is the most important. But Paul tells them, of like, all right. Then who rules this troop of our tribe? And who rules all the tribes and troops through the fighting instructors we've trained in the weirding way? Paul waited, looking over the heads of the throng. No answer came. Yeah. They know it's a trick question. Not so fast. He got us once. <laughs> yeah, with at least one. Okay, he bit him. Like, yeah, not going to call me stupid twice. Uh, he continues on. I'm like, does Stilgar rule all this? He says he doesn't. Do I? Stilgar does my bidding. On Ian the sages and the wisest, they all listen to me in council. Now there's sort of like a shuffling silence among the crowd. He continues on and... Uh, does Jessica rule? You know, this reverend mother that can't walk the sands. She doesn't join us in Razia. Is mm -hmm. she the one who rules? And sort of like bringing up all the power structures within Fremen culture. Right. Like, I mean, like, look how well these work together if we don't put them opposed to each other. Imagine if we did that with one more step of authority, like something above a naive. And uh, with this, he kind of goes right to the depth of their uncertainty, right? Because uh, Jessica sees this is a dangerous way of doing things, but Paul's has logic in what he's doing uh, with like bringing up this Harkonnen message that he has, uh, and Paul going right to their uncertainty because he wants to dispose of that of like I just need to kill the weakest point in you right now, right, and then you will all fold. Just your doubt, exactly. Yeah, again, it's sort of like nipping it in the bud. If we want to give this little plant metaphor, like before it can oh, kind of yeah. grow and its roots get in, like I can get rid of, of this the right Fremen now. bonsai tree. <laughs> yeah, and it would be a little bonsai tree. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of water there. Nope. Uh, because if he wins them, like all the rest are going to follow, meaning mm -hmm. like every tribe. If I if I take care of everyone in the Sietch today, all of Arrakis, mm -hmm. Fremen-wise, is going to be uh, completely on his side. So Paul then asks the Fremen, like, what 
is your goal? What is our goal? And it's to unseat Raban, the hearkening beast, and remake the world into a place where we may raise our families in happiness amidst an abundance of water. Is that our goal? And now, Mike, if that's the goal... That means the death of the Imperium in a way, wouldn't it? Uh, in what way? Unless you share the planet with the rest of the makers, bringing that much water into it. Oh, oh, so... No, no, when they... The Fremen plan for changing Arrakis always includes a desert on the equator. Okay. Or the, like, we're never... You always got to have a little backyard for your, do- for yeah. your gods. Yeah, yeah. We're going to do only the polar regions, which is why whenever when Kynes brought it up that we'll get the uh, the lasers for the polar ice. Right. That are the... I, is it mirrors or lasers? Oh, I don't remember. There was a weird thing that I caught that I was like, we got to look My at My mouth this. was full at the dinner party. I can't remember. <laughs> like, I was taking food off somebody else's plate. Um, yeah, there was something like that, but it was like, we're going to stay in those latitudes, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then the worms are always going to get the equator and have their happy period. And there was never going to be uh, rain clouds over the equator. Gotcha. Oh, would... interesting that you could plan for that. Uh, well, what do you mean? It would be a matter of, like, just only planting in the north and stuff, I think. Wouldn't the winds or storms, like, fuck with that? I mean, I, I okay. I don't know. I'm not a meteorologist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know exactly but what I you're saying. But I feel like there are, there are some other things to consider with that. Okay, Mike. The clouds might go over the equator. <laughs> um, I, I hope they don't drop water. Yeah, I, I don't know how that would work. Right. Um, yeah, that's it'd be really interesting. I wonder if you would have two climates, like, isolated because of the weird, hot and, like, spinning... I don't know. I don't, I don't it know. Might, it might be hurricanes all year round. <laughs> it sounds terrible. That sounds even worse. <laughs> it does seem like it would be really chaotic because there'd be so much uh, temperature change when you add the atmosphere and mm-hmm, some oxygen mm-hmm. rich. But we're going too far. The all point right. I wanted to cling to is that none of this would be possible without kinds. This wasn't the Fremen goal, not but 80 years ago. True. You know, Paul needed it to be here to pad the way for him. And kinds never displaced Stilgar. No, he never... I mean, he was already above him. Paul's trying... Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm just thinking about our right, deep dive. I oh, guess, wait. Where, like, he had the opportunity to call out Stilgar at that point, but instead embraced him. Wait, I'm sorry. You, you did say Kynes, right? Yeah. Do you mean Pardot or Liet? Liet. Yeah, no, Liet never would have. So, okay. Mm-hmm. We did a deep dive. I think it might have been, uh, when, like, when we were starting to really meet Stilgar... And about, uh, or maybe it was... No, it was the Stilgar backstory. Yeah. Yep. That uh, he called it his uh, his naive. He killed him, took over the tribe. Mm-hmm. And it was and while Kynes while, was gone. While Kynes was away. Yeah. And so he came back, and then all of a sudden people were like, oh, is Leah Kynes going to call out Stilgar now? Like, what's going on? What's best for the tribe? Because Stilgar was, like, wounded. Yeah. And it was sort of like, it's like oh. well, it's a perfect chance to do it. Yeah. And it's like, and everyone loves kinds. Everyone loves the good kinds. Every, yeah, Fremen just have a thing for kinds. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, instead, he, uh, kinds embraced him. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you're my brother, and we're going to continue doing the work we're doing. And I need you to be where you are doing it. I feel like this is just a parallel to that. And I don't know why some of the Fremen are so shocked about that. Granted, that was from the encyclopedia. So maybe like the encyclopedia took some creative liberties with that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, even giving them the creative liberties, though, 
you still had to have something like that happen to put Liet in that plate. Like, there's no doubt. Fair. Uh, or, like, you can't say there isn't a comparison between, like, the position Liet had and the position Paul wants, right? Exactly. Well, yeah. Which is sort of just, like, that one step above all of the naives, where, like, the naives talk to Liet Kynes. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I've run this up before, where, like, I told you, Paul doesn't, like, change things all the way. He changes them by a degree. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of like all he's doing to Kynes' position. I'm like, no, no, Kynes is this. And I'm like, I'm just that, but also we're just, a duke. We're just doing the Kynes thing, but we're putting the crown on my head, too. Exactly, guys. <laughs> like, I'm not a scientist. I'm your king. Um, yeah, no, I think there's a really direct parallel there between them. And uh, maybe that's why Stilgar shouldn't be nervous. It'd be like, hey, you've been here before. This they won't song be- and dance. Yeah. But like, that's Come why on. I think that like, the encyclopedia maybe took a... Maybe a little bit too goody-goody on its creative liberty there. Yeah. I do think something similar had to have happened or transpired mm-hmm. in order for Leah to be in his position. Yeah. yeah. You you at least have to have that confrontation to be exactly. like, who's in charge? One of us so, is. I guess I just, I wish we had more information on that aspect of the uh, Fremen pecking order, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And in a way, I mean, I think you, you just wanted more kinds. Uh, I do. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize how much I was going to miss that man. I know. Of all the people, he deserves a prequel book. He really does. That would have been a great one for uh, Frank to dive into. So we'll carry on then, uh, leaving this uh, potential conflict. And we're coming up with Paul addressing. Uh, this is the Fremen gold. It's Fremen gold that has changed and evolved so quickly over time now. And we're changing it again right at this moment in this cave. Uh, there's still opposition, so Paul asks them, do you smash your own knife before battle? Yeah. It's like, all right, guys, this is, I'm really going to get to the point then. If you guys, I'll make some battle metaphors here. <laughs> and uh, Well, he, I mean, I feel like the Fremen are really good when it comes to speaking in idioms. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, Even I'm their think- call responses are idioms in oh, a way. I'm thinking every time uh, Cheney, uh, when she saw the prescience, and she turned it into weather analogies. Oh yeah, yeah. It, was, it was always storm and conflict kind of deal. Yeah, I think you <laughs> that, gotta that's be the able- kinds in her talking. <laughs> it, oh, oh, that's the scientist we're coming. We've been waiting. We, we were trying to pinpoint that last time. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I feel like you need to be like direct and talk to them from like their experiences. Mm-hmm. This is something they would understand. That they would know inherently. Right. Breaking your knife because we got a war coming. Paul's going to need generals. And uh, he then tells them of like, look, I'm not bragging. I could beat every one of you here in single combat. Just, just, like, that's this it. is fact. Yes. Everyone this is knows not up for debate or discussion. And this has been true for the past two years. Um, there's never been a point where any one of you could have really beat me. It's not that you suck. I've just had a lot more practice. I know. I love that too. <laughs> where, and I feel like this is in direct response to Paul's driving test, where he was given a lot of shit for being 18 years old. And he's like, look, guys, <laughs> I've been training been dr- longer and better than your kids. Your kids are doing mock battles on the back of worms, Paul. <laughs> On the back of worms. <laughs> they were doing flips and shit. Yeah. But uh, um, I think this is also, uh, it. it's an testament to, like, uh, why Gurney's still there as well. But not just that the Lisa Al-Gaib has said, like, hey, Gurney's cool. He's with me. It's that, like, I've had masters such as uh, our Reverend Mother, such as this man here, Gurney Halleck. Yeah, and I mean, you got to think Gurney too has also proven himself time True. and time again. I mean, and like he's got a, he's got his own mythos in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, the man can kill Sotokar. I If anyone like Gurney could kill Fremen, probably. Mm-hmm. I think he's just as well poised for it. Yeah. Um. Because I mean, he almost does. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Several times. Uh, I, I got some interesting talks about Gurney when we get to him in this mm-hmm. chapter. Mm-hmm. I, I got some questions that have been lingering. All right, let's keep going. All right. So we have Paul telling him he's had better teachers than any other kids ever have. And while he's saying all this, too, Jessica, again, clocks in that he Paul is using the voice. Uh, but that's not enough with these people. They have good insulation against vocal control. He must catch them also with logic. And it's sort of like her just keep track of the plan as we're going through, mm. right? I'm like, all right, you're good, good, Paul. But the voice isn't going to cut it. We also do got to convince them. And this kind of maybe brings up what you were saying with the Fremen or like uh, Jameis knowing the voice. Can, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Can, I think you can only do it so much before they catch it and be like, no. I think he's, yeah, it's just, it's a very light, like. It's uh, slick. Yeah. Yeah. A little spritz the voice. But it's, uh, it's not registered to any one Fremen. I think it's just. Maybe it's registered even to like their uh, like the Tao-ness. Kind like the Tao, maybe yeah. the Tao, or maybe it's like the just their principles in general. I think he's applying to the, or no, maybe it is the doubt that he's trying to sort of appeal to. It is some the, people don't are they're unsure. Like I don't understand what's happening. This is different. Yeah, uh, yeah, so that's like subject wise, and I, I get that. I just want. Do you also think there is like a an actual physical voice thing going on, or do you think it is just like? The verbiage that he's using, I think, and both? I, 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 in well, a way, I, yeah, yeah, in a way, I guess the voice is. Like I mean, Lady Jessica's the one saying, like, "Oh, he's using the voice." Yeah, and so that's so all. I, just I like, want to clock. That's why I think there is like what we keep saying—the spritz of voice. That's all I think that is. I just I think there's like a commonality in frequency that he is hitting to try and like, right, but not too hard, just to sort of like give it a little love tap. Yeah, it's just that Fremen resonance frequency. That's just the kind, perfect. It's kind of. Scary to think about in a way that well, yeah, like again, so with how trusted he is in this group, he's manipulating them right now. Mm. This is there's no good reason to do this. No, I think it's something that you should walk in where I told you, like, Paul's not a good I mean, character. I guess the good reason is not to kill Stilgar in a way, if you want to pitch it from that angle, but no, you're right, like, ultimately, what it's for is just like, I, I guess, I own oh, this yeah. planet, yes, maybe the ends, but so. If you, I mean, like he but could by saying that it's like you're agreeing, so you're Machiavelli. Of, yeah. uh, you're I mean, just like, well, I mean, kind of in a way. However, I have to do this. Yeah. God, oh, do you want a copy of that book, by the way? Mike, we got too many books on the roster. <laughs> Once I give you back, life is pie. Okay. Then you can give me another one. Life of pie. Life is pie. Oh. <laughs> See, that's why. That's why. God damn it. All right, let's keep going though. We'll drop this for a second. So, um, with this, we get to our excerpt from last week now, going into this whole uh, message that Paul gives out in his uh, Connecticut kind of voice. <laughs> and yeah, of just like Raban, it's yeah. not enough. We're all ready, guys. Stilgar now moves up to Paul. And I'm like, ooh, are we back on the plan? Stilgar knew it was cute. Like, I think we're back, mm-hmm. on, the, we're back mm-hmm. on script. And uh, Stilgar saw the meaning right away. And, and Paul kind of tells them. Then this is all sort of like uh, also reinforcing Stilgar's authority, right? And when mm. we're telling him like uh, Stilgar, when he speaks, it's, it's my voice. Oh God damn it, Derek! So, yeah, did it come out? You, <laughs> you heard, heard it. it. You I heard, heard it. it. I heard it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I want to do it so bad, but I gotta stop myself. <laughs> Put a man on the Muad'Dib. <laughs> I'm just gonna say, Stilgar, it's not what the tribe can do for you. Put I hate up. you. So much. Wait, Mike. If we put a Moadib on the moon, there's going to be two Moadibs on the moon. <laughs> we already got a Moadib on the moon. That's why we took that name. Now, 
with Paul, though, reinforcing Stilgar's authority, we kind of move on to, I think, the biggest change at this point right now, where Paul is going to become a duke now. Yeah. We I mean, are... This has been, like, this is also, it's got weight to it. This has been something, like, hanging on it, literally hanging on him for Around his neck. years. Though, if I, he did put the ring on in the tent, right? Do you remember him having oh, the signet God. ring? Uh, I don't know if he put it on or not. Okay. Because, like... Oh, you know what? I can't recall. Yeah, I, I can't recall if he puts it on or not. But nonetheless, it's on the necklace now. And a little, it, little piece of sugar wire. Uh, sugar wire. It's a braided sugar wire cord. Ah. So it's a feud together. Because uh, uh, if it was one piece, it'd probably just kill <laughs> You'd grow yourself. It's super dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, I yeah, I wonder if it's just, certainly he hasn't been wearing it since that time. If he did put it on that night. And it's just been holding there. And now, now's the time. That's this is why I think we know it's a big big day. And Paul, he puts this message away, and he removes the braided sugar wire cord from around his neck. The ducal signet ring is hanging on it. This was my father's ducal signet. I swore never to wear it again until I was ready to lead my troops over all of Arrakis and claim it as my rightful fief. Fife? Fief. If, oh, okay. Good. No, we were called out on this. It is fief. Thankfully, no one had to die. <laughs> yet uh the, oh, this also uh child murkies in the mail <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> this also made me think not uh not to wear it again so i do think he put it on in the tent okay yeah yeah oh and the, and he's like i made a mistake <laughs> gotta be a real man paul you're not ready yet <laughs> not until uh, i ride a worm yeah he puts it on his, on his finger and he clenches his fist utter stillness grip the cavern granted it's been quiet and still the entire time, no matter what. Well, no, no. There, there's always like shuffling, and, shuffling, murmurs. and muttering. Okay. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The crowd so is rabble, 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 rabble. <laughs> yeah, just silence the whole way through. Paul raises it up and says, "Who rules here?" And he raised his fist. He says, "I rule here." Damn. Damn. Are you familiar with uh, like the Run DMC thing where it's like, "Whose house runs house"? <laughs> no, I don't know. All that. I know. Is Run I don't necessarily that. think that's the greatest dialogue here. Runs house. Oh, Mike, if you knew, it was like a MTV reality show. Mm-hmm. Although I guess but, this is technically a monologue. No one else is speaking up. Yeah, no, no. It was a rhetorical question, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he hits Paul just reveling of like, "I rule on every square inch of Arrakis. This is my ducal fief." Where the emperor says, "Whether the emperor says yay or nay, he gave it to my father, and it comes to me through my father." Now, mm. Paul, like he reads the room at this point. He's like, "Ooh, I'm close." I almost got everybody, but there's still some people holding out. Some people are not on board just yet. This is when Paul brings up that when he claims his imperial rights, he's going to have jobs and positions to kind of hand out. And of those positions, Stilgar is going to have to get one of these jobs. And it's not out of, like, pity or, like, just because Stilgar saved me, uh, you know, me and my mother when we were out in the desert. Uh, I need, yeah, I'm not paying a debt or anything. Because all of us, well, and he's like, all of us owe Stilgar life for life. Like, that's, that's yeah, right? I bet that's true. I bet <laughs> every from in there has been like, Stilgar, that time you saved me. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I do this because uh, Stilgar rules with his own intelligence, not just the rules. Which I think... Is good, too, because if there's any other naive other than Silgar in the situation, how do you think this would have rolled out? Uh, oh, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, it's I, not I, just I, I, kind of what you're building up to. Like, it would have to have been to a challenge, right? Yeah. If, like, 
well, I guess it's that Paul broke Stilgar is kind of how I've been viewing it, right? I don't right? think so. Well, I, hold on. Let me, let me pitch my thing, and then I'll totally get a rebuttal okay, for sure. you. But I'm just saying, with uh, I think the Mahdi has been weighing on Stilgar and finally broke him to where that orthodoxy that Stilgar has held to, like a rock, is finally like he casts it off, and he kind of caves to Paul and lets Paul ascend over him, and now he's sort of just on board to push this uh, the whole way through. But how, how do you see that as different then? Of um... I think Stilgar has always just been one of those like special kind of individuals where just like they have such a unique and like sharp way of thinking. When we had uh, Jessica and Stilgar talking with one another, like uh, the Cave of Riches, was it? Riches or ridges, both are fine. <laughs> I can't remember. Yes. But like they were on the same level. Like he was already thinking a couple steps ahead of what she was considering mm-hmm. and then vice versa. I think that he is... He's not your average Fremen. No, not at all. Not at all. And, like, even among naives, he's probably not your average naive. Nope. I would say he, because uh, he's part of that um, uh, that kind of new wave. I'm trying to think of, like, an, uh, a historical uh, illusion that I could bring up of, like, other youth. It's sort of like a youthful revolution, right? Because he was bringing the Pardot method of, like, being mm-hmm. Fremen. He was a changing um, force within himself. Him throwing over his naive was overthrowing that orthodoxy in light of this new idea that he wanted to cultivate. And the same thing is just happening in this next generation. As much as, uh, as much as, you know, you serve the tribe mm-hmm. and tradition, I think Stilgar has always been on the, I think I agree with you. He's always been on the forefront of like ahead of what tradition in a way of like, what is best for the tribe? Even if, Tradition isn't best for the tribe. That it's kind of like hilarious to say, but just like the cutting edge of Fremen culture. <laughs> exactly though. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird to yeah. yeah it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's like but an oxymoron. My point is that like it I don't think you should treat Stilgar as the naive. Mm-hmm. I think that title doesn't define him. Yeah. I think I would yeah, put Stilgar on par with Thufir and Gurney as far as the those people within like Paul, you remember when we talked about uh, Guys Helm? Oh, it's like chapter three, Jesus, where Guys Helmaheim talked about like you know the four things you need to like uh, rule a planet, mm-hmm. and she's like counting them off like uh, valor and the wisdom fa- yeah. or something like valor I forget them and all. the brave and yeah, yeah. But I think Stilgar would make his way onto one of those. Mm-hmm. I think Stilgar is just that that integral, and he is that uh, unique of a person. Oh, wait. Oh, you know what? Touching back on that, too. Doesn't she refer to them as pillars? Yeah. Ooh. Ah, ooh, Sauls. Ah. Yeah. I think it all ties together. He's the base of the pillar. Yeah. Yes, he is. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And they're all found, and they all build off of him in a way. Mm-hmm. I like it. Very much like it. Um, But yeah, so touching on our description of Stilgar there, I think you're right. Uh, maybe Stilgar, like all Atreides, is an exception. <laughs> He's just he's yeah. meant to be part of the family, Mike. I think he really is. Yeah, he should. Uh, I mean, I consider him Paul's godfather at this point. Uh, he's got to have some sort of brother. I think brother. Well, everyone's a brother to Paul. Uh, I don't no. know. No. I feel like... Gurney's that oh, wild oh. uncle. Definitely. Gurney's an yeah. uncle. Gurney and Idaho uncles. <laughs> uh, I just, no, you know what? Uh, Stoker's like stepdad. He's sort of a Phil and Lato's shoes. Uh, okay. I'm never going to call you dad, but you're my stepdad. I'll give you that. I'll give a you little, that. A stretch. A stretch for sure. <laughs> um, now, 
Let's carry on. Do you have anything else you want to add on to that? No, no. That, I just, that was I a just cool want, little diatribe. I just really down. wanted to get into Stilgar because, like, I feel maybe all too often people just sort of gloss over and, like, he's rolling over Stilgar. But I don't think that's the case. I think Stilgar knows and accepts what's happening. Yeah. Like, with uh, a keen awareness. Yeah. I, I He's choosing to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, I, I think the bigger question is just, do you think he's happy with it? Is it for the good of the tribe, or is it a personal decision, too? I think both. They don't got to be separate, yeah. Yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. I think it is both in this. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's sort of like a torn. Or like I, I, I see the good of the tribe, and maybe him personally a little regretful, but he wouldn't do it any other way. Right. Of just like, I think there is a sadness for the old ways being gone. Right. And just acknowledging that. Well, what is that, like seven millennia of Fremen on Arrakis? Yeah, but only like I mean, we changed the laws eighty years ago too. So because uh, <laughs> Pardot, Pardot fucked everything up. So true, true. true. Yeah. Like you said, uh, he bent it. Or Paul's breaking it. Exactly. I don't. I you know. And you could just hear it go snap today. And uh, now, as we said, Paul, no, he's close. He's so close. Um, we're gonna give Stilgar this job, but then Paul tells them he will not cut off his own arm just to provide them with a circus. And I'm like, again, that's got to hit them pretty yeah. hard. They'd be like, I'm not just here to entertain you people. And that's all you really want. Like, At the reflect end of the day, on yourselves yeah. a little bit. Like, you just want to show. Get um, on our level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, big picture. And Paul swept a hard gaze across the throng. Who is there here to say I am not the rightful ruler of Arrakis? Must I prove it by leaving every Fremen tribe in the Erg without a leader? This hit me so hard. It's no. my favorite line. Yeah, But it also made me think of uh, last chapter. Or was it last chapter or the one before it? <laughs> Where uh, Paul says, oh, oh, God, what was it? Like, you control something if you have the capability of destroying it. Yes. and But that's him right here. Like, I could kill every knight here. And I've already told you, I don't think anyone could stop me. Ooh, yeah, great catch. It's like, I already controlled the Fremen. Yeah. You just, all like, know I could? And yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly... Uh, like plans within plans within plans (laughs) everything mirrors like it's like fractals essentially yeah yeah uh yeah that's perfect no i mean like i just that line stuck with me so hard and this here just makes me think of that again Mm -hmm. and i yeah i i have nothing to add to that thought i think that's a perfect encapsulation of what paul's saying there and bringing it back right to the spice um now, leaving every tribe without a naive, I feel like this is also just this process is analogous to like nationalism and state unification, uh, like in our history of like the Italian unification, German unification. Paul Ooh. is taking separate city states essentially, uniting them into a nation. Like, yeah, I, the, the yeah, Fremen right. don't look at it as Arrakis, you know, it's Sietch Tabar, it's uh, right, right, right. Earth, but like it's we're like, all Fremen, but like, I'm not friends with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're friends of allies of convenience, maybe, yeah. at best. Uh, but now Paul's like, no, we are one group. We are one people. We are one nation. And it, it's going to be a uniting force for it. It's uh, like, it's almost a rhetorical, it's like, does anyone say, like, I'm not in charge? That's fine. Because, like, I mean, what? No one's going to say anything. No. They no. already know he can kick their ass. Yep. And even if they got the chance to, in one blurred motion, Stilgar had his Chris knife out, pointed over the heads of the throng. Long live Duke Paul Moadib, he shouted. Now, Ooh. those words do not come easily out of Stilgar's mouth. To say 
Duke Paul Moadir. That, yeah. It is both uh, an acceptance fully of Paul's new station. Because it's Paul Moadib. That's the Fremen. That's the man he does know. And he's giving it Duke now. This is the Liet Kynes thing here. I think I think this is, more. Well, no, it's, it's the Fremen and the Imperium names being yeah. merged into one. Yeah, yeah. And granted, like, we've already called him Paul before. But, like, the fact that we're going with Duke. Mm-hmm. I think, oh, okay. So I, I was wondering where you were. I thought you were attributing Duke as the Imperium. But I'm seeing Paul as the equivalent yeah. to, like, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Uh, and I, I think the Duke, though, is what recognizing an external authority is anathema to Fremen culture because that was the whole point of how they broke off of the religious sect back in 1300, you know, BC or in mm. common era, like old Terra, when they were like, We are not recognizing that prophet, <laughs> we're going into the Sahara Desert and just leave us alone. Mm-hmm. And that's all they wanted. So now they're back in the Imperium. For the first time in yeah. 20,000 years. Holy crap. And Stilgard just did it on a whim. Not really a whim. Uh, yeah, it's like, we had it through, but uh, we did it in a moment at the very least. You know what I'm saying? Now, with this, the cavern is full of chanting. Yahya Chahuda, Moadib. And Jessica like is able to translate that. Long live the fighters, Moadib. That's the war chant. That's the war chant of the Fadaikin. This is the point. So Jessica hears this, and it's all in Chakopsa uh, that she kind of translate. And with this, I mean, I think that's like a little worry of that chanting filling it up of like, oh, that's foreboding. But she is satisfied that this all went according to plan. I'm like, ah. Uh, <laughs> like, but didn't you just say like, oh, he can't do this? <laughs> I don't know what the plan that, is. That is that is a little bit uh, funny. We're, we're all over the road. I don't but... I don't think that was uh, necessarily on purpose. <laughs> oh, I'm no. not gonna hit that button. Now you're questioning him. <laughs> Uh, our God. I mean, like, he just contradicted himself, honestly, with his character. <laughs> you can just like, hear him saying, you can't, Mike. Why are you doing this? You can't do this. Like, exactly, according exactly. to plan. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so silly. Uh, and then Paul changes the plan again because he adds this whole other ceremony onto the end, which then Stilgar changes and does his own thing to this ceremony. But this is basically um, this... An oath that I imagine this must be pulling from Leto because it tears up uh, Jessica entirely, right? I feel like he's just verbatim quoting mm-hmm. something he saw Leto do to like one of maybe the soldiers in that super soldier unit or something, if not uh, Idaho or Thufir uh, right. within their lifetime. Uh, but he has Stilgar kneel, he repeats an oath, and then he kisses the Chris knife. And Stilgar complies, but in the Fremen manner, he also kisses Paul's knife arm as well. Yeah. It was like, okay. And I, I uh, just it's a nice blend. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting for Stilgar to assert himself a little bit. Mm-hmm. And again, how that's why I kind of thought he'd be so sad for the old ways of just like, no, not complete. Like the old ways are staying a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I augment it this way. And now that, that's a right. That's going to be a Fadaikin ritual right. from now. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but this is just going to be a ritual from henceforth, right? Mm-hmm. And it's another legend attached to Moadib. Oh. Yeah. Because this is, this is new to the Fremen. Yeah, but a bunch of people are going to do it that same way then. Yeah, that's what I mean. You oh, would want wow. to. Because you want to be that like is really Stilgar. Good. Stilgar was the first. <laughs> exactly. Um, then Stilgar... Okay, Again, for as uh, multiple times he's he's been calling Paul his Duke. The words it's all he it says. It feels now. weird to read that. Yeah, it's not right. 
Then we get a very weird uh, paragraph that comes up where we're going to mention the prophecy. And I want to know what you make of this because I had a hard time understanding it. And I, I actually I don't consider think I... this a couple different ways. Okay, then I want to hear them all. All right. A sighing whisper of awe passed through the crowd and Jessica heard the words. The prophecy a Bene Gesserit shall show the way and a reverend mother shall see it. And from farther away, she shows us through her son. So. This made me think, is this prophecy not about Paul at all? Maybe it was always about Jessica? I, well, so it was. The, or maybe they interpret it as we see it through her son or their chi- her child. Right, right. So the original one was that a Bene Gesserit will come and will either have a child here or bring one, or with, bring her. one with her. And, yeah, I, I didn't know if it was supposed to be, like, a Bene Gesserit being Paul and a Reverend Mother shall see it. Or if there are both those Jessica, and then, like, because she trained Paul and Paul trains them, it's coming from her. So, like, it, it, it seems very weird. And I just, I, I don't feel like I was properly prepared from, like, the narrator to get to this point. Like, I feel like I was supposed to be told. I feel like we should have learned more about this prophecy. Right, right. I feel like I'm missing one part of the prophecy or like a kind <laughs> Maybe line like or... 30 parts of the prophecy. Because <laughs> yeah, kind said so many different things that aren't here as well. Yeah, yeah. Never, well, I just want the one that will answer this paragraph. But yeah, I feel that there's some peace missing, right? I deliberately did this. You son of a bitch, you did not. Uh, there, there's something missing in there to like really flesh that out. Um, but I, I do think it is ambiguous for that reason to be like, what was it? What's going on? It makes you want... It makes you, you more invested. It could be the plot hook thing. All right, but, so run with it. Give me your conspiracy theory of like, what does that mean then? I oh. no speak with authority. Like you don't even got justified. <laughs> like, give me my Paul voice. Yeah, yeah. Give me your. <laughs> me, they tried to take the life of my son. <laughs> no, that's later. He's not there. Yeah, but he's a he's assertive. That's all I want. <laughs> um, what I'm thinking, I feel like you could apply this prophecy to Aliyah instead of Paul. Okay, but I, this is that's how. Uh, they think that, like, oh, they follow the prophecy so perfectly. And I think to a point, Paul does out of just, like, right sentence at the right time. But maybe it is so vague where, like, maybe maybe Leah could have said that by accident at some point in her life and would, like, fall under the prophecy. I think this prophecy seems very specific but is actually incredibly vague that a large handful of people could fit into it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that would be... Uh, helpful just for how the panoply of Propheticus works. Yeah, I, I think you're like, right there. I cool, think because they really don't know. It's just yeah. like, but I got an inkling. Yeah, yeah, they leave room and they give you ways to manipulate it intentionally so you, you can make it accommodate to you. Right. But I mean, I wanted to know what you thought this meant now in this moment, though, of like the prophecy, a Bene Gesserit shall show us the way and a Reverend Mother shall see it. She shows us through her son. Like, what does that mean in this moment? Because they're saying it right now in reaction to the event we just saw. In reaction to Paul, they're kind of saying this. And I, I just don't even just know. Just the fact that, like, Lady Jessica's watching over this procession? Like, yeah. I don't know. Oh, oh, so, like, a Bene Gesserit shall show us the way. But, like, she showed them Paul. And then because she became a reverend mother afterwards? Or, or just, like, a reverend mother will watch it. Like, she is a reverend mother, technically. Granted, wouldn't, like, a Reverend Mother always be, like, uh, present for any of these, like, major things going on? Well, it's the mix of Bene Gesserit and Reverend Mother. So you and I, you ought to make sure you separate those terms out when we talk from the Fremen point of view. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, Romalo probably would have been at this hearing. Yeah. But then there would be no Bene Gesserit here. Yeah, then what's the point 
of this sentence. Or, like, in the prophecy, I mean. Because, like, because it's they'll say a reverend mother will always be there. Well, like, yeah, there's always going to be one there. No, no, no. Right. Oh, oh, okay. I just okay. think that I'm that's sorry. kind of I'm a sorry. silly I'm sentence. I, I'm I, talking I, about the reverend. Uh, yes, I, yeah. I, that's what I was just going to address. I, th- I think I was confused of thinking that you were swapping them out. But you're saying, say we didn't have Paul. Jessica was brought into the tribe. Either way, Ramallah would have viewed her in this situation yeah. kind of deal. Yeah, okay. We, if she didn't have Paul... And yeah. we know that she was pregnant. So it's like, oh, Lady Jessica still fulfilling the prophecy. It's her. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I then I'm willing to say that I think that both those references then are Lady Jessica, and she just happens to have the duality of the role. Yeah. Of exactly. being a bedroom like, and that they're interpreting it that way. Like, oh, it's amazing. Like, it's so perfect. How Who it all guessed? lines up. Sure. Sure. Interesting. I yeah. I, also, and like now that I think about it as well, if Lady Jessica had like died maybe a month ago, we'll say. Mm. And little Aaliyah was there. Maybe Aaliyah fulfills that because she's technically a uh, oh. Benny Gesserit and Reverend Mother and no daughter or like child. Yeah, um, I I think we would have. Uh, remember what I told you we did to the possessed? Oh, we toss them out in the sand. No, you don't put them in the sand. You put them in a rock. You post a guard and you let the, a lot evaporate that water, oh. so it never goes back into the water table. Yeah, I think they would have given her the full-on trial. They would not. Like, right now, she is. And this was the whole point of Ladies' Night. was like Hara telling us Aaliyah is in danger. She is only protected by me, Jessica, and the fact that she is Paul Moadib's sister. Okay, that's fair. Kind of. I I think that's the only thing saving Aaliyah. However, if Aaliyah wasn't fucked up from birth. (laughs) 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 Because in your scenario, Reverend Mother Romalo is still alive. Aaliyah would be a normal baby. Yeah. That, that could work. That one could work. Okay. Our current Aaliyah throws a wrench into the whole machine. I guess I'm just on team Aaliyah. <laughs> just like, you really I are. really want that baby to succeed. Stay on that team. That's a good team <laughs> to be on. Stay on that team. <laughs> now, let's, uh, let's leave this little Bene Gesserit um, mix up uh, behind us. Right, <laughs> this right. quote. This quote's a disaster. Um, <laughs> next, uh, Paul ensures that Stilgar's uh, authority is going to stay intact. So he's telling everyone, like, look, Stilgar will speak with my voice. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I think I, I brought this up in an earlier chapter or earlier point in the chapter, and I was totally wrong. Uh, but this is when Paul says, Stilgar speaks with my voice, and he's giving his authority onto him. And mm-hmm. Jessica is just like, ooh, that's very wise. You don't want the leader to lose face at all. And yeah. this is just Paul's sort of justification to being like, look, I can't be everywhere at once. Like, Stilgar is going to need to deal with something. It's like he's going to be my proxy. Exactly. Like, you treat him as you would treat me. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of like, I think it really hammers up the last bit of like, you wouldn't talk back to me, would you? And everyone's like, yeah, we've been silent this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Paul. And uh, then Paul turns to Stilgar. We're going to give him some orders in a low voice. Because, like, Mm -hmm. I love that everything's done just like that. And we turn, and Paul goes back into general mode. And he's like, Stilgar, I need Sandwalkers and Cialagos to summon uh, the council gathering tonight. Bring everyone here. The time is now. And we get three Fremen named. Three Fremen named who have all been named before. Yeah. Did we have Chat before? Chat the Leaper. Oh, what? Yeah. He he just had a cool title for no reason. Chat, Corba, and Otham. All right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Chat, Corba, and Otham. And get two lieutenants of your choice. Given agency as and, well. And Naib's choice. Um, but you choose one less than I choose. Ah. And uh, Paul tells him, like, look, we need a victory when the council arrives. 
And so, like, that also tells us, okay, we're going to go do a fight then? We're going to go do some attack on yeah. something. Just so when they get here, they'll be like, Just oh. a quick razzia. Yeah, hey, you know, just keep everyone fresh, everyone sharp. Do you think that's uh, why it's so uh, convenient that they're already next to a little settlement? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely why we're... Yeah. Well, that's why they use this settlement, I think, for sure, uh, being so close to everything. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is meant to be the battle hub. Um and with this, um, Paul kind of nods to Jessica, and this is telling her, like, hey, follow me. And Jessica, she obviously knows, okay, we're going to go do this gurney thing, right? Uh, this has been on the horizon. And uh, we move through uh, several hallways, uh, and then as we do, uh, as we're moving out of this great chamber, actually, all the men kind of move forward, and they touch Paul. Kind of change his mm. name. It's very reminiscent of that Jameis fight again. Yeah. Right? They always want to be around the Mahdi. It's like a, it's a moment of ascension. Yeah. Yeah. Could be of uh, just big change. Yeah. Something happening. And I wonder too, if it's all the people that aren't normally in the Siege, like all the other people that have traveled here, gotten mm-hmm. here, that don't always see him in the day to day, that don't know him as Usal. Um, now, feeling the emotions of the throng, Jessica sensed the fighting edge of these people. They could not be more ready. We are taking them at the crest, she thought. That, again, taking them. It's very possessive. Always has been from Jessica's point of view. Yeah, but she like... She's not been shy that we are using the Fremen. I feel like uh, she's at least the more honest of everyone. Because, like, Paul doesn't seem to say that, but he definitely does it and says it. Or, yeah. like, not, sorry, I just contradict myself. Uh, he definitely says it through his actions. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he, he, he never it. like outwardly it's, says it right. usually, but like Jessica's always just like, yeah, we're just using them. Mm-hmm. I think the manipulation of the voice is the big thing I can't get over. Still, like that seems like such an invasion yeah. on his part, um, with the trust that is implicit in that society mm-hmm. that like you shouldn't do that. Um, but we head to Paul's chamber, and again, taking the role of their prophet. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, cynically. Yeah. Right? In the way that kind of uh, Leto described religion to us. Of like, this is something you can use it. It's for the masses, right? Use it as a weapon. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we head to Paul's chamber, and he tells uh, her to wait here, and he leaves for a second. And again, this is where I said uh, Jessica. Again, she's going to set the scene for us, Mike. We have a little Jessica alone time. So we're getting to part two finally. Yeah. Yeah. We are officially in part two now. Uh, The room is wholly silent. Not even the wind pumps can be heard here. That kind of pump air through the sieges. And Jessica knows Paul's going to get Gurney. And even the idea of Gurney makes her reflect on how much she's changed in these three years, so far removed from Kaladin. Three. Three. Three total. Well, uh, like, that's the whole since we left Kaladin. I, I think that reflects back to the... I think it refers to being in the sands. No, we've been on the sand. We did the two-year jump. And you and I know we were only here for a week before. We said about two years. We guessed and speculated. I think this is officially three. She says three. Oh, okay. I take that as like uh, three years from like uh, Leto being given, like Leto being ordered for this move is like the big transition point. Remember how her and Leto had had those discussions over and over. Leto stopped sleeping like the month before they left. That's why I really, and like the uh, conception of Aaliyah is where I'm like bringing all that from. Like all that happens in some time before the crossing, before this and that. But I'm, I'm, I'm sure someone out there will give us a good opinion as well. But sure, sure. I'm going to, I'm going to stick to three here. No, I'll let you, that's fine. You can be wrong, Mike. 
I love dude with the amount of times we've like we've dived into like the like grayest niche areas of Dune to be like no no we're getting to the bottom I want to know and like Frank should be happy he's dead because we would be bothering the shit out of him with like <laughs> opens his inbox and it's just full of Mike and Derek emails uh, Frank I need to know what happened this week on Arrakis um, it's really important <laughs> I guess we could fuck with Brian if we really wanted to. <laughs> now, this does get me to a point that I can say affirmatively within time. The coffee service. Uh, I told you at the beginning, Jessica mm. looks down at this, and we see the coffee service. Paul, one from Jameis, is in the room. And uh, Jessica thinks, two thoughts here. Of, one, how many people have touched that metal? Just how many different people have owned this set mm. of coffee uh, service, right? This... Um, Kind of, uh, it just says like fluted silver. So we get the, it must be some sort of kettle, maybe a tray and some cups sort of deal. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then this thought dovetails into Cheney and how Cheney has served from it within the month. So that's like a time frame that we can kind of give for when Cheney left and then Jessica came back. And we know that Cheney has been sort of a, I want to say ostracized to the South, you know, like, she, yeah. you're not allowed back. I don't like the, that. Yeah. Like, I, I understand. I'm just like, uh, oh, you know, I care for you too much. I can't like afford to see you here. But like, Cheney kind of kicked Paul's ass when they first met. Like yep. had him dead to rights. Yep. Yeah. I, I agree. Right with you. And, and she takes care of all the challenges. <laughs> yeah. She killed some people more. She's a very capable I just woman. Like, I don't know. I just, it's really silly. For just to make Paul feel better. Uh, yeah. 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 Hey, it's all about how white people feel, Mike. Uh, Jesus that's, that's Christ. Born out in the desert. Yeah, it's pretty harsh. Now, this continues on with uh, Jessica then has a thought, which, oh my God, we've had this come up so many times. And it's really the character motivation for Jessica I dislike the most of just like the desert. Well, it's almost like that's the only defining feature of her. That she, heart, that she uh, it's a reoccurring one. Yeah, I feel like she's like defining feature. Yeah, she like we've been able to suss out a good portion of what her character is. And, like, I like no, things I agree that with her. that. But like, but it is the, it, every time, yeah. every time she's seen Cheney, she's had this stupid thought of just like, what can a desert woman do? You have to marry a blah 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 in the Imperium to get a like a royal marriage and she's in just alliance. Bitter. Yeah, Honestly. and it, yeah, and it makes us reflect back on her. Um, Mar- no, I was going to say marriage to Leto. Yeah, n- non-existent. Her relation with Leto. Uh, it just doesn't seem really reasonable, even given the particulars of their situation. Like yeah. her not liking this Cheney and Paul. Like, what else is he going to do? What does it hurt where you she's, are now? She's just project, uh, projecting so much. Or yeah, projecting no, too much. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I thought you were going to change projecting. Well, I'm like, that's definitely no, it's just the like, word. I can't have what I like wanted. You can't have what you want either. Oh, like, because like the Imperium I, comes first, and that's what we got to think about. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, that. I I thought you were gonna leave it as like that was it. Just no, 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 I didn't get it, so you're no, not getting it. She's not just a bitch. No, I mean, like, not at all. But for the Imperium's sake, that's yeah. all she wants. I'm like, no, you have to go back to a Duke. Almost not even for Paul, but for Leto. Maybe yeah. So Leto's well, sacrifice she, wasn't nothing. It's not just Leto's sacrifice; her own sacrifice. She. Turned her back on the Benny Desert for and a bit before Leto's child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Atreides line is definitely tied up in there. 
And uh, this carries on with uh, Jessica has sort of like a daydream moment, and it's life as a mother to the royal consort. She's just dreaming of Paul being in the Imperium, marrying uh, presumably Irulan, or uh, one of the. That's what I thought about when they mentioned like there's plenty of princesses out there within yeah, the Carino she, family. She's, she's the one that definitely uh, she was the one they planned to uh, eventually with the Fade oh. Ralph like whatever Irulan's descendant was going to be crossed in. Oh, man. Um, so yeah, that's what you think. But I, I thought it was interesting. Royal consort acknowledging that Paul would be Jessica. He would be the one not married to, but brought into like right, their right, family. Right. And then she just gets to, yeah, live in the Imperial kind of house. And I'm like, it's very, it's the shallowest moment. I think Jessica's had this whole book. Hmm. Her saying, thinking about this kind of daydreaming. Uh, but then we also get a small description of how Jessica got here. Uh, and this is like her coming up from the south. And I'm like, what did you think of this? Amid a host of worms with palaquins piled high with supplies for the campaign. That'd be a sight to see. A host of worms. Did you even know that was possible? Is it? Yes. They wouldn't fight each other and nope. go berserk? Nope. Don't they, aren't they territorial, though? They are. So you have all these Fremen basically convoying it with all these worms. Yes. They can't all tire out at the same time, can they? Like, how does that work? Way, okay. Also, how do you get the palanquin up and down off the worm? <laughs> now I'm regretting asking these questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ropes and uh, time for the mm-hmm. second question. Of, uh, just like, I don't know a lot of people. I don't know how you do the palanquin, really. <laughs> of, but uh, the the host of worms, I don't know either. I don't even know. How, how many do you, do you think that means? What was the number you're imagining? When I think a host, I don't know why, but I think prime numbers. Okay. Is that weird? <laughs> no, no, it's interesting. I'm like, like uh, more than five. Yes. Probably like 10 to 20, but like, I want to say something like 13. Okay. Okay. Is that like a, uh, an upper limit you think they have for how many worms they can get at once? I don't know. I want to hear. What do you think? I mean, like, how, what's the, this space, is, what's the spacing between the worms? Yeah. What's like the relative space? Like, how wide can you go? You don't want people to see either. Well, and people I, would be hold like, up, hold, hey. hold. I feel like seeing is sort of like that one. You got to be like, we're, we're forgetting that. Right. Yeah, like, right. Uh, there's nothing. There's like, eight, I just think even, of, even if I take your low ball of like, let's go with nine. I just think oh. of the mighty ducks and the yeah. flying V worms. Like it's hard to ignore that. <laughs> and one worms a mile and a half long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there'd just be a torrent of sand going. In. I don't, I think you have to accept that. Like somebody might see us today. Um, and when she says host of worms, so like we're interpreting it as like you know we all get like five, ten worms at a time between each thumper. Do you think it's just like you know worm the worm the worm is what she's referring to? Like that being the host of worms. Um. So we're Fremen can bring like a herd of worms together they can i don't know how else to describe this to you it's like uh we don't know we it's going to be described i don't think we see it uh firsthand in a very frank way right Mm kind of like how this is here uh so this is the best description i have for you right now but like they do it they all came up here these worms are loaded and if they are territorial and a thumper usually only calls one then how do you get so many at the same time they have like little mini shields that turn on for a second, be like, "Oh, they're coming," because that's what that's what draws a bunch. Yeah, but like, I mean, that's probably that's all I can imagine. 
It's actually, like, it's like, like that's what the Fremen do. We haven't do. been told that you can get like multiple worms on a single thumper. So I, I maybe it's a matter of like um, Fremen going out in like various directions for like an hour, picking up worms, meeting. That seems super unnecessary. Sure, well, uh, everything about their life is unnecessary, <laughs> Mike. <laughs> no. We we piss and shit in our suits. That's necessary <laughs> though. That's my point. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Well, but you, ha- if I'm just trying to address the concerns you brought up in worm territory, <laughs> no, maybe it's no. necessary to go an hour out so that they, you can get multiple worms. Otherwise, they won't cross in or something. I don't know. Nonetheless, they can do it. And uh, <laughs> we're, we're, but I think the biggest thing here, and so, like, let me drop all of that. I really don't have answers. I just wanted to make sure you did, like, have that image in your head of, like, okay. multiple worms. No, 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 I get yeah, that. I get that. Like, some wave of them. But uh, we're starting to bring the supplies up north. Remember what Cheney told us we were doing in the South? Mm-hmm. Everybody's, I'm working 24-7, Paul. Like, that's, I don't want to talk about work. That's all I do down there. Mm-hmm. All those supplies are coming north now. Honestly, I feel like it's only Cheney, Aaliyah, and the baby down there now. <laughs> like, everyone, <laughs> even Jessica's up north. That's really had to sting. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, host of worms, though. Love it. And uh, this brings back... Uh, her thoughts to Cheney being Jessica, because she's in this room by herself right now. Remember, mm-hmm. we're in the beginning of our part two here. And uh, as long as Cheney Lee lives, Paul will not see his duty, Jessica thought. She has given him a son, and that is enough. Ooh. It's like, God, bitch. Uh, and then she does have a redeeming thought of, like, she's overcome with longing to see her grandson. Yeah. I mean, that's like a silver lining, not just like, hmm, Sort of, but we had to accept that last time, too, where it was like she couldn't, uh, like, disregard the child and the mother. I think she's just come to the conclusion, like, I'm going to have to make an accident happen. Kind of. That's kind of what I got for vibes. Okay, me too. Yeah. Entirely. Entirely. That did sound like a, maybe Chaney falls off a worm. Uh, Everybody slips every now and then. She's going to voice the fuck out of Chaney next time she sees her. Ooh, drink that water of life. (laughs) Jump (laughs) off that worm. (laughs) Into its mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, um, yeah, I I got nothing for you on that. But with this, she has this longing for Leto. And we think of, uh, what is it about Leto that she loves so much, Mike? Did you catch? No, I it's that it. he looks like Leto the First. He's got his grandfather's face. Oh, so it's just like looking. You can see it. Little shades of him, and uh, I think this kind of puts her off. So she goes into oh. the breathing <laughs> exercise to regain control. Mm-hmm. Well, it just gets her like a little more emotional, and she knows what she has to deal with in a second. Uh, so she like uh, doubles over, and I think it's just sort of like a yoga kind of exercise. I don't know what to really Like It's like she bends over, she starts breathing. Then she has this really uh, weird thought uh, that for me was like, uh, I think it's just exposition. And Maybe, because no, you, uh, you mentioned to me offhandedly and like when we were walking home from work and I thought about this, I'm like, you're right. This totally doesn't need to be here in this chapter. It's just, it's the only paragraph you could pull and it doesn't change anything. You could have put it anywhere in the chapter almost and it would have mm-hmm. kind of fit. But she just remarks on, I'll, I'll, let me read the whole paragraph even. Paul's choice of this cave of birds as his command post could not be questioned. She knew it was ideal. And to the north lay Wind Pass, opening on to a protected village in a cliff-walled sink. It was a key village, home of artisans and technicians, maintenance centers for an entire Harkonnen defensive sector. We've just basically been told that's where we're going for our little Razia, for right. our little win. Yeah, that's like, we have to go get this kind of win. Yeah. And I, I, 
actually kind of in reverse. Like we've been told we have to go do this little attack. And now you're just being told like, oh, this is little great low hanging fruit right there. Right, that right, right. The Harkonnen defensive sector is defended on. <laughs> okay. Why not? Uh, and it's just so weird being like, it's that paragraph is just in between the Cheney Leto thought and then Gurney going <clears throat> and like coming in and like almost killing her. It's so quick. Uh, and in between her like breathing regiment, which she also like, she does uh, stand up right with the cough at the door. And that's when Gurney Halleck comes busting in. And, yeah, uh, he, like a dog, just running right in. Dun, dun, dun. Next thing she knows, uh, there's an arm around her throat, and she's lifted up to her feet, which she already straightened up, so I don't know what that means. Like, she was already standing upright. And now, yeah, and now she's hovering, like, six inches off the ground because Gurney's holding her whole no, style. No, no, it just says, and lifted her to her feet. Maybe, like, uh, tippy-toes. She's not fully off the ground. I can kind of see that, though. That is the image in my mind of, like... Yeah. Because it's, like, you just imagine how burly Gurney's arm is. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. I would like to think, like, her toes are just sort of, like, not touching the ground quite yet. <laughs> this is a little uncomfortable. Um, and she asks Gurney, like, what are you doing? And then notices, like, oh, the knife tip at her back. Yeah. And I love it. it says, like, awareness spreads from the knife tip. This awareness of danger. Uh, he wants to kill her, but why? Now, there's a weird line here that uh, undermines something you and I talked about. I was I, I was actually going to bring that up. Did you catch it? Yeah. Dude? So we had a little sidebar where I was like, Mike, how do you think Gurney knew about the voice? Because I'm like, ah, Thufir told him. And was, ultimately, yeah, ultimately, we thought, like, it had to be Thufir. They were in cahoots. Mm -hmm. But this line just, like, uh, goes completely against that. Undermines the entire uh, thought we had. Because how would Jessica know that Gurney knows about the voice and Thufir not know at all. Because mm -hmm. Gurney and Jessica clearly haven't talked or else he would have killed her at that moment in these past years, right? Uh, I, th I think she trained him about it somewhat. No, or how to defend against to, it. Has to, entirely. Yeah. And uh, the, him being a musician, he's got a certain ear for these kind of things. Oh, oh, I yeah. think that she knew that. Let, let me like, read the line real quick okay. before we keep going with this. Because uh, this is what she tells us. Here was a killer wary of the voice, wary of every combat stratagem, wary of every trick of death and violence. Here was an instrument she herself had helped train with subtle hints and suggestions. Now, the problem we have with Thufir, he was so shocked in uh, that chapter when him and Jessica sat down, she revealed the voice right. to him. We know he was involved with the super soldier program. How does he not know about this? We know he instructed Gurney on that. How does he not know about this? Do you think we know Gurney he's was... been in communication with Gurney, which is why we thought Gurney knew about this. And it's not. Do you think that Gurney was like somewhat, oh, that's a good well, I, actually, before we even go too far, I really want to, you keying in on Gurney having the musical background yeah. to, like, why he would be so adept at the voice, I think it's just awesome. Mm -hmm. And then uh, carry on with your thought from there. Um, do you think that, like, maybe she somehow, like, adopted him in a bit? Like, some subtle, like... Uh, with subtle hints and yeah, suggestions? Yeah, subtle hints, where, like, it sort of builds up his tolerance but then to it, maybe. What, what is he, how does he know to act this way now? And why didn't he tell Thufir, Thufir about it? And why didn't he tell Thufir? Maybe he thought that Thufir knew. I don't, it is weird. I, would, I, I don't would know. Love, I would love if everyone thought Thufir knew. Like, everybody. <laughs> everybody knows about the way Thufir knew. Everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
just their little joke that they have. It's been like a lifelong oversight. Like just everyone was like, oh, Sufi's got to know. He's the best man in the universe. Really suspect the fact that like Yui was like an expert. On Yui this. knew. <laughs> the Baron knew. The Baron hired a deaf guard. <laughs> Even the deaf guard knew, Mike. He put his fist to the ear. <laughs> but Thuvir didn't know. <laughs> but Thuvir, completely mind-fucked by this idea of, like, he reassessed his entire life. <laughs> like, he's like, oh, if I could have done this, the things. Thuvir got three body problemed. <laughs> yeah, 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 entirely. Yeah. <laughs> And then he committed suicide. <laughs> just like I can't go on living. There's yeah. no, there is no physics, Mike. <laughs> There's no waveform. No, I think I think that that is a really interesting uh, point. That I I don't have an explanation. I think our idea is hilarious and funny. But um, and I I mean we thought we were so clever being like Thufir warned Gurney. Gurney's been planning this yeah. the whole time. I like that storyline. But, but even if you go from the idea that like Jessica told like trained Gurney subtly, it's like Gurney would have said something to Thufir. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think uh, that's just an oversight. Yeah, it's very weird. Yeah. Now, this brings me to my next plot hole in this. This chapter is just riddled with holes uh, <laughs> because now Paul enters, and this is very funny. Only because we know, one, Paul can see the fucking future. Because he opens the curtain, and he's just like, uh, he's, uh, wait, do you have actually his line right in there? He starts to, like, he's <laughs> Here he is, mother. Yeah. And it's like, you would only say that if Gurney was directly behind exactly. you. You haven't seen, you have no idea where Gurney is. Yeah, not like, here he is. Like, what do you mean? Like, he's already in the room. Like, he said in my head, like, hey, why don't you go say hi real quick? <laughs> yes. Like, he wouldn't do that either. What the fuck happened here in this? Were you think he went out and like Gurney was supposed to be waiting? Gurney went around to like the back entrance. He's like Gurney, Gurney, Gurney. I don't know, but it's weird. But like for not being able to see it, like he does explain, like he can't see it right now. This yeah. is something he did not see. Right, right. So like that—that's not. I wouldn't say that's a plot hole or anything. The oh, fact- oh, okay. No, okay, I'll give you. It's not plot hole, but convenient. It, it is rather it's, it's again It's very deus ex machina for his future. But I'll give you, yeah, that one's not the biggest one. I think the biggest thing is him introducing Gurney. And it's like nothing about that makes sense. No, no, it is kind of weird. Without you, like, did you not look behind you? You should, uh, I guess, like, maybe uh, maybe Frank just didn't know what to write there. <laughs> Other than, like, he has to, like, convey that, like, Paul is surprised yeah, by this. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I, I just don't understand why Paul left the room, why he's coming back in. Why he's coming in introducing Gurney blows my mind. Now, we can kind of go off, but nonetheless, like, uh, Paul's saying this. He breaks off, and he takes in the tension of the scene. And Gurney tells him, you'll stand where you are, my lord. And my lord rolls right off his tongue right Yeah, quick. Yeah. Didn't have to get back into that. And uh, Jessica starts to st- speak, and the arm just tightens against her throat. And with that, Gurney, he tells her what he wants. And it's, uh, he doesn't get to say fully that he wants her to confess, but I presume that's what it is. That you'll uh, speak when I say you can speak. Yeah, and it will be in a monotone. And if certain muscles uh, so much as tense, I will stab you via reflex right into your heart. Like, his muscles are queued up and ready to go. But, this uh, is, the, like, the first time I've really seen Gurney, like, fight. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, he's not really fighting. He's just like yeah. we're given uh, an idea of just how keenly aware he is in a battle mode. Yeah, yeah. I like I trading like mode with Paul. That was like that's fun in games for Gurney. This is actually like I'm prepared to kill you. Yeah, I like them telling you like my this is going to be my reflex. Mm-hmm. Like there's some sort of mechanism that he's trained to do where it's like I'm not even gonna think. This is just gonna yeah. happen. I'm like I love it. And uh, Paul steps up and he says. This Gurney man, the Gurney man, that class, that's like, we know that's heavy between them, right? Yeah. That's him being like emotional and wanting to bond. Uh, but Gurney even tells Paul not to come closer. Like you step closer and I will kill her. Now, Paul, he does not take this well. There's no more Gurney man. You get one <laughs> Gurney man. And with this, Paul's hand slipped to his knife hilt. He spoke in deadly quiet. You had best explain yourself, Gurney. And I, I feel like that's the point where you're like, ooh, that's a Gurney Halleck moment. I feel yeah. like that's where you say the full name to like a little distancing of yourself, right? Uh, but Gurney does just this. And uh, Jessica thinks, oh, God, what irony. Because uh, <laughs> like Gurney tells him, like, I'm going to kill the betrayer. I'm like, that's all I've been set out to do. Oh. Through fear is pointing me in the right direction. And I have spied, cheated, and I even pushed Samuta on a Harkonnen guard captain to confirm my information. Which Harkonnen guard captain? Do you I know. Do you, do you think it was? <laughs> is that how the food got started? <laughs> no. But I think it's way too early because that was literally the day the Duke died. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he was already on Samuta. That's fair. That's fair. Now, uh, Paul speaks before Jessica. Jessica's about to say something. And he, Paul's like, I'm going to guide us through this one. Don't mm-hmm. you worry. And he's like, you, we did it. You know, the, we have all the evidence. And... By the way, Paul, or Gurney, I will kill you if you even so much as hurt my mother. That's what the exchange rate's going to be. Mm. If you, like, even scratch her, you're going to die today. That's just what it is. And uh, Paul even tells Gurney he knows a way to remove the conditioning himself from an imperial souk doctor. Paul knows it. Isn't that, again, with what we just saw with Paul being willing to manipulate the Fremen, that terrified me. Yeah. Of like, what the fuck do you mean by that, Paul? Of, uh, <laughs> that sounds very much like, a, and I'm sitting on this one just in case. But right, I, right, right. I, I could do this too. I could suborn a souk doctor. I wonder what other tricks he's got. I don't know, but I'm glad you use that because this is a trick, Gurney snarled, and his arm tightens around Jessica's throat. Why would Paul be trying to trick Gurney? Well, let's reflect on our chap our chapter header, the anger that's gonna like blind a you know man in rage. Mm. He he's gonna deny what his inner self is telling him. And I think this is the biggest point of that. When he's pushing back on Paul, and it's like, Gurney, that's Paul. If you were in a rational state of mind right now, you would you would weigh that very heavily right. of what's coming from. But at the same time, I don't think we should ever assume that Gurney looks at Paul like the other adults do around. Paul, to everyone else, is the Kwisatch Haderach. Mm-hmm. I don't think Gurney's aware of that power with him at all, right? No. To no he has no idea what that word even means. Nope. This is the boy, and uh, honestly, I'm just amazed this boy is a girlfriend right now. <laughs> Let alone a kid. Or alive. Yeah, he accepted alive pretty quickly. Okay. The other things have been coming in waves, Mike. <laughs> now, with this, Paul rep- responds to Gurney. He says, no trick, Gurney. And his voice carried such a note of terrible sadness that the sound tore at Jessica's heart. Mm. What, do you, what do you think that sadness is in there? Because for me, I, I think it's him knowing, like, I'm ready to kill you. 
Yeah, like, well, I mean, my teacher, my friend. I agree. That's where Paul is at right now. But like, it's also not just sad for like having to kill Gurney. He's also thinking back about his father. Oh, he doesn't have to do that very often. Great point. No, no. Yeah, I think since and, like, that tent night, that was yeah. the only, that kind of like how the Fremen have to all cry at their birth. That was sort of Paul's Fremen birth, right? It was. You just had to get the tears oh, out then, a, and you're yeah. done, and you don't get a chance later on. And I think Jessica immediately she knows that tone. She's you know she's had that same tone herself. Mm-hmm. She's had to cry herself to sleep sometimes, or not uh, cry, but like you sob know, into sob. the night. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I love that it's clearly the two of them have never talked about this since mm-hmm. that night in the tent. We've never bothered to hash this out. And it's really going to all come out right now yeah. in this little side room with Gurney. And maybe no better person to provoke it than Gurney. He's sort of like a healing salve at the end, right? By having him here. Yeah. Now, with Paul saying this, like, yeah, the sound tearing at Jessica, Gurney says, like, he saw the captured message, though. So he saw that message that Leto showed, you know? But yeah. certainly when Leto showed Gurney, he played it up. Yeah. And he would have said, like, I think it's her, Gurney. Which is really what's guiding them. Because maybe that's something we have to consider, too. Like, like I, yeah, I think we glossed over the fact that, like, we were just going by Thufir's bias. But, like, Leto did tell everyone else. Yes. Yeah. And how much they all... Because, ad- like, we knew Idaho I, I, was just like was that say, witch. I was going to say, how much they all idolized Leto. Yeah. Like, he was very much on a pedestal for these men. But, yeah, and they all fall into that witch rhetoric right away. Mm-hmm. And um, it's only going to be because of Paul that he's able to set Gurney straight here. And uh, I love it. He just says, be quiet, Paul said. And the monotone stillness of his words carried more command. It's like great. More command than Jessica had ever heard in, in another, another voice. voice. He has the great control, she thought. I was going to say... She, in another voice, she has lived with Duke Leto, been among other politicians within the Imperium, lived with Benny Jesuit and no, Reverend I, Mothers. I was going to say, if you didn't bring up guys, hell no, of course, yeah, but like, yeah. the fact that that's what she gets off of this right now is mm-hmm. saying a lot. Now, what, what do you think the great control is? I, I don't know. It's all in capitalized, so it's definitely yeah. like, it's this proper is a thing. Noun. It's yeah. definitely a Benny Jesuit thing, right? I mean, we, we only have the context clues to go off of. But it seems like there is like I think it's like almost like a, a perfect voice where you don't need to register someone. Yeah, yeah it's like it's, it's like, just like next your le- words are command. It's They're- like next level Quisatarak voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Um, maybe I hmm, I wouldn't say you don't need to register. I kind of want to think that he's like uh, hitting like a super tone, if you will, that like hits everything. But it's something that like Jessica can't even do, right? Like right, it's right, so, right. Ooh, or maybe maybe it's like the the throat. Well, like you wouldn't need to register if it hit everything. Oh, okay, I, yeah, I guess it's it, like my point. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I'm sort of saying he has a, the, like the master key there. The other thing I would touch on of like, what if it is like you register everyone and he could just do like the throat singing and it's like I just hit it all at once, every like mm. uh, harmonious phrase in like that mentat crazy style. But nonetheless, it's just called great control in all caps, and I don't think it ever comes up again. Uh, which is like, I was like, glad Frank threw it in there. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think it's just hitting uh, Gurney either. I think this is also permeating Jessica. Ooh, that's a good catch. And, well, what is it that it's uh, hitting? 
Well, let's continue on with uh, Paul's dialogue from here on out. All right, gladly. Oh, my. Ooh, ooh, taking control, sir. <laughs> uh, well, well, it's a great control. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, with this, uh, Jessica can feel the knife wavers at her back. Gurney's arm is trembling. Now, at this point, I bet she could probably overpower him. Yeah, but like, she's she's staying right where she is. Because we need, we need him. Mm. Just like we need Stilgar, we need to... Bring Gurney down. We don't need to subdue him, right? right. We, need, we need to bring this guy back over to her side. And uh, Paul tells Gurney, you've not heard Jessica like sob in the night or see her eye when she talks of killing Harkonnens. And even j- this when we cut to Jessica, like she didn't know Paul had heard her sob in the mm-hmm. night. She tears up at this. That is crazy. Uh, just like... That, that's a huge band-aid being ripped off for them. Yeah. We're like, for so long, they've needed to address this. And at least now we get somewhere. And I think it's really great. And Paul then, he gives a great speech. This follows up. It's very persuasive. Until you remember that he is a Harkonnen. Yeah, those are the things. You know. yeah. <laughs> Let's continue on. Okay. <laughs> I want to say this is Paul telling him, though. Didn't you learn the difference between Harkonnen and Atreides? You could smell a Harkonnen trick by the stink they left on it. Didn't you learn that Atreides' loyalty is bought with love, while the Harkonnen coin is hate? Couldn't you see through the very nature of this betrayal? Said the <coughs> only two Harkonnens on that. Yeah, but like when you think of Harkonnen and Atreides, you don't think of like the nature of them. It's like it's the nurture. You're... When you're raised Atreides, you're raised like on camaraderie. Yeah, okay. On bravado, okay, yeah. on love. Yes. With Harkonnens, it's like into the pits, watch people fight. Woo! Fuck my infrastructure. I don't care. Let the rats run free. Yeah, let the rabble have the rest. Uh, but with with him saying this, this is this is working because like bringing up the Atreides Harkonnen divide, that's always going to hit uh, Atreides men really strong. That's yeah. their like their main core, right? And Gurney's very close. And this is just like how Paul was winning over that crowd. He's mm-hmm. like, I almost got him, but he's not quite there. Uh, and Gurney kind of protests, like, but but you, he. And Paul tells him, like, look, Gurney, I have the note. That Yui wrote, admitting his own treachery. Mm -hmm. Uh, The evidence we have is Yui's own message to us, admitting his treachery. Uh, And then this continues on, and I really love this line. I swear this to you by the love I hold for you, a love I will still hold even after I leave you dead on this floor. Like, oh, that is is great. That really hits the tension in the room. Mm. And this is followed by... um, Frank is very proud of that line that he just wrote. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because he says, hearing her son, Jessica marveled at the awareness <laughs> in him, the penetrating insight of his intelligence. <laughs> just like, oh, God. Pat yourself on the back a little harder. But I agree. It was a good line. Um, and uh, then Paul speaks of Leto's uh, instincts for his friends and that Leto's only uh, weakness was his misunderstood, uh, he misunderstood hatred. And that thinking that any man that hated the Harkonnens could be relied upon, essentially. Mm. And I wonder how Gurney takes that of like, that's a pretty frank assessment eh, of uh, Leto <laughs> from Paul. And I don't think anyone's ever really questioned Leto. No, at least I mean, like, you don't, you don't question your Duke. Never up to this point. Um, and now but I think this is like the exact thing that Piter uh, sort of jumped on. Like, he found this flaw. Yeah. Now, do you think it's that, uh, I was kind of wondering, 
if like did Leto never hate anybody? I wonder if it's is it because it's an emotion that's kind of foreign to him. I feel like even mm. that hatred, or I want to say hatred, but the rivalry with the Baron was driven more by honor for him than I think by like any hatred towards the Baron. But his entire core was based off of defending his family's honor. And as you long say as that, but a lot of them like hated the Harkonnens. A lot of what? The uh, Atreides of the Atreides people. I'm just saying. I'm only looking at Leto though. Okay, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That is the only one I want to draw. I just wonder. I'm open it. I think certainly you could say, yeah, he hated the bear in a way. But I'm just open to this idea of like maybe that wasn't the driving force because it seems like he did have no concept or no deeper concept of hatred and the uh, variations of it. And that like Yui could be exploited through his hatred. Mm-hmm. Like that caught him so blindsided. It's just interesting having Paul bring that up. Uh, I, I guess if I was going to like flip it over on its head and just discussions we've had uh, parallel to this would be like how the Baron feels about nobility. Okay. Well, like remember how the Baron, he was disgusted or even like uh, so saddened when the Duke was like killed that way. Yeah. Even though he hates the Duke. Yeah. He want, you know, but it was like, he has this other thought for nobility. And that's where I, I don't know if like Leto couched it in some terms like that. Maybe I just, Paul, I mean, Paul puts it where like, it's not that he wasn't like a good leader or like didn't love people. Like he understood love perfectly. He could get more loyalty than anyone else. He thought through love. He thought hate was something other than what it was though. He didn't understand it. Yeah. He thought it was the opposite of love. That's not what it is though. No, not at all. Okay. I, I, Oh, so like, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying there where Paul is sort of like emphasizing this one aspect. Like, no, my father is great at this and this greatness caused this blind spot. It's like, we have, I mean like you also have to be a realist. It's just like, He's not perfect. He did die. He the man had weaknesses. Ah, uh, yeah, which is gonna be the second part we get to right right yeah. after of like having your father not be perfect when you see them as a man. That's yeah. gonna be this thing coming up. I like that. It's gonna be a we'll use that as a little transition here, Mike, because uh, these words are tearing at Jessica, and uh, she can see it's costing Paul too. And I love that we hop into Jessica's kind of mind for a second just to see her looking at Paul. And Paul is being rigidly formal to cover up his emotions. Like, mm-hmm. talking about his dad is going to make Paul want to cry. And everyone has just been had some pretty teary chapters recently. It's been rough. We got a lot of, uh, Fremen have just some deep emotions. Uh, deep emotions <laughs> that they, they, they want to unpack. Yeah, everyone yeah. wants to empty their purse out on the table here. Uh, and at this point, it says Jessica, she wants to run up and like cradle Paul to her breast as she had never done before. They're bridging. I didn't think they were ever going to come back together. No. Oh, but I think that's it. I think that is incredibly insightful for their history. Mm-hmm. She never has been, been touchy with them. So remember when um we were in with Yui, mm-hmm. uh, her Jessica and Yui were having their talk. And she looked oh, she like wanted to like, uh, like uh, go in and cradle him up just yeah. like now. But we didn't know at that moment she had never done that in their life. That's never something she's done. Ooh, I Jessica think you're wants, reading a little too that, deeply into that. Read, just read that line. Jessica wants to cradle him as she never had done. I, or are you I interpret that? that as just like 
the she, degree she, to which to the degree to which like she's never wanted to do it more than mm. how much she wants to do it right now. I wouldn't say that they she has never held her son before. I would push no, back on no, that no, a lot. Not held ever. Like clearly she breastfed him, whatever. No, but I well not <laughs> like even past being a child. I I'm think, thinking like I oh let me just say I'm thinking she never like emotionally coddled him. And I don't think so. Kind of hold on. Well, I'm just thinking like Leto and Gurney pushing back from like the boy needs to learn a little edge kind of deal and that. She's always held back. But go ahead and say uh, your side here. I don't know. Even, like, the report from Chapter 1 mm-hmm. makes me think of, that like, she Of, like, laying out the clothes yeah. on the bed and Paul pulling it. But then she still never touches him in that one, did she? There isn't ever much touching between the two of them. I guess, yeah, no. I mean, you make a, you make a good point. I don't think that's the intention of that sentence, though. Sure. No, I think. But, like, I think you could have, like, a, a you know, a Derek conspiracy theory on this. Ovals. Ovals. <laughs> it's all about ovals. But uh, no, I, I totally see where you're going from of like, uh, as she had never done to like some degree of like, because yeah. I want to like hold him and never let him go again is sort of like yeah, what yeah. she's thinking right now. Um, now, as we go on though, uh, Gurney gets his uh, stride back and that knife is back to uh, pointing right at her back. And oh yeah, it's still, still there. It's still there. The trembling has stopped. Um, so Paul continues. And uh, this reminded me of an Irulan quote, right? Yeah, I just found. I just recently found out the name of those little quotes at the start of chapters. Oh, are epigraphs? Epigraphs. Epigraphs. What does that mean? Uh, ooh, mm, uh, so we had to look up the Latin roots for episode. They were even Greek like roots. Epi- Mike. Oh, they're Greek. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, do, do you recall what epi means? Uh, I well, I kind of want to throw sage. I mean, Alexander never uh, fell, and he <laughs> he's a bitch. Yeah. Uh, no, epi means uh oh. In addition to. In addition to. Yes. And then graph obviously being like a paragraph. Mm-hmm. So using epigraph, it's like to have a paragraph or like a statement or quote prefacing a chapter, but it has like ties to the chapter in its motif. Yeah. It's sort of like setting up a theme or right. something. Which is what it. we always try and do. Like, oh, what, what do you think this has to do with the chapter? So uh, I thought that was really cool. So I, And I like however now it would just been like, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. But yeah, an epigraph. So we had one, which was. Not quite verbatim here, but it was, I think it was a saying of Muad'Dib. Yep. And it probably came from this exact moment. Uh, yeah, it was focused on the father rather than, this does say mother and father. Right. Uh, but when, you know, but it, building the legend of Leto. Yeah, knowing that your father is only a man. Yeah. And just sort of like, oh, wipes away. Because uh, up and went through your childhood, your father is a hero. He's a god. It's like yeah. nothing can topple him. He's unstoppable. Uh, nope, it's just a dude. Just a dude who had a kid. Uh, but this continues. So, so Paul says, one of the most terrible moments in a boy's life is when he discovers his father and mother are human beings who share a love he can never quite taste. It's a loss, an awakening to the fact that the world is there and here, and we are in it alone. The moment carries its own truth. You can't evade it. I heard my father when he spoke of my mother. She's not the betrayer, Gurney. Oh, I really love that line. The moment carries its own truth. You can't evade it. And this is reflecting back to when Leto told Paul this message of uh, Jessica being the betrayer, or not being the betrayer, rather. Mm -hmm. This is what Paul's reflecting back to. And uh, it was just such a powerful moment for him that Leto could not stand there being a universe in which Jessica questioned his love for her. Mm Mm-hmm. That just isn't something he could abide by. Even knowing that this like this concern supersedes concern for his own life. 
Right. Because the whole point is that we're like trying to root out any sort of betrayal or like moles. For like why he does it? Yeah. No, no. Uh, so like beyond why he does that ploy, I, I, I just want to focus more on like why he puts this fail safe in to get to Jessica and hammering home why it's so important mm-hmm. of like, yeah, I have to get this mole. It's critical that we get this mole. Paul, I'm willing to risk this mole just so yeah. you get this message to your mother. Cause like, yeah, uh, like, oh, I guess so it's, yeah, you're saying that's he's what I was willing to like poke a hole in that plan even. Like, yeah. 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 And it may very well have been his undoing. Now, Jessica tells Gurney to release her, and there is no voice at this point. It's just a straight-out flat line. It's over. She crosses over to Paul, but she doesn't touch him. And again, that's fun and unclear. And I wonder, though, this actually crossed my mind, of like, do you think it's because she's the Reverend Mother now? Remember how with Aaliyah, if she touches Aaliyah... They have that moat awareness. You think she's afraid of the Kwisa Chatterer? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That makes a lot more sense. Right? I'm just like, they very much, she wanted to hold him so tight. She won't touch him. There's fear. There's something there she does not I want. wish that that had been expanded upon. I, I wish I think that, they would talk so bad, Mike. I, I do think that there's a lot of truth to what you're saying there, and it makes a lot more sense insight-wise. I kind of just wish that if that is the case, that maybe Frank did a little extra work, legwork on that. And because instead of patting his soul shoulder and like, wasn't that a really good line? <laughs> yeah. And just like, because all the Atreides are exceptions, I don't know what would happen if she touched him. Like, <laughs> I don't know, but I really want to see. Uh, but this is pretty much the closest thing we get to the talk between Paul and Jessica mm-hmm. of like Paul's powers. Uh-huh. And, uh, there's like a realignment of bonds happening here. I think they've sort of, uh, they're not, everything's not all in the free and clear, but I feel like him and Jessica are closer to being allies again. Oh, no, I agree. Than that night when Paul was like, my mother is my enemy. And uh, you made a good point earlier, Gurney of all people to sort of like bring him together. You need him. You need him. And this music, Mike, this music's going to heal all wounds when we get to it. <laughs> uh, but Jessica's staying there. She gives this great kind of line uh, where it's Paul. There are other awakenings in this universe. I suddenly see how I've used you and twisted you and manipulated you to set you on a course of my training. She swallowed past a lump in her throat, looked up into her son's eyes. Paul, I want you to do something for me. Choose the course of your hap- of happiness. Your desert woman, marry her if it's your wish. Defy everyone and everything to do this, but choose your own course. Yeah. So, thank God we can throw away that shitty motivation she's had all book. Yeah. And I'm fine with this Jessica. Uh, and, and now she's on this other kind of path now where she wants Paul to do whatever will make him happy. She's, is this like abandoning the Bene Gesserit? I think it is. Like cutting Paul loose. We don't need the Imperium. We don't need anything. Just be fucking happy because I haven't been. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think... Uh... That's a testament of her strength. Hmm. The Bene Gesserit or a weakness within the Bene Gesserit. Because ultimately she's a product of them. Like born and raised. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Her striking this course of independence. I I don't really know what to make of it entirely. Because we we know Bene Gesserit break the rules all the time. All the time. But like 
Yeah, yeah. Of like, uh, they, they I, I, you know what? I, I think this is the one time. I, well, you're asking me if I, I just think this is something she finally chose, maybe for the first time in her life for herself. I think you might be right on that. Not for the Bene Gesserit, not for my love for Lado, you know, not for my family. This is for me. And like, finally, like, I release you. And she's sort of just cutting ties with Paul. Like, uh, and like, I, I was uh, going to want to reflect back too of like how Paul was manipulating the Fremen. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he'll have a reflective moment at this. Oh, well, he like, may very well. <laughs> like, I would hope so. It seems very stark <laughs> to me with how Paul acted sit, in the beginning. Sit lounging in his uh, Erg rocking chair with a uh, little, uh, little grandchild later the third. Like, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, little, little great. Oh. oh, you don't think it'd be Paul the second? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe alternate. I don't yeah, know. Uh, um, but, yeah, so then for the Bene Gesserit, yeah, I guess it's a, I, I mean, it must be a demerit. From the from the Bene Gesserit point of view, I bet they would be disappointed, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, I don't know how else. How do you think it reflects on them, then, with your question? I think, I don't know. I mean, if the Bene Gesserit knew this, they would be pissed. Sure, certainly. So I think from their perspective, it would probably be maybe weakness. Yeah, it's, okay. Um, certainly from my perspective, I think it's a virtue and a strength in Lady Jessica. Mm-hmm. And I guess it makes me also definitely question any sort of sense of honor in the motives of the Bene Gesserit. Like, they don't do it for, like, the benefit of humanity. They do it for their own political benefit, I think. Because oh. if it was for humanity, this is humanity right here. This is, like, the best of it no oh mike but gr- big picture though i think that's hard to sell of like uh i i or i guess i i think rather the Bene Gesserit always get to be like but no this uh the greater good kind of deal you can always hold over any individual mm-hmm. uh so I, I wouldn't say they're ever in it for their own personal gain because again they don't ever want to be in charge they want to be one degree away from in charge because they know being in charge is a corrupting power it, it is uh no, no, nah, I don't know. No, no, I think I think the Bene Gesserit have great, great motivations, but it's sort of like somebody having good intention but taking away your agency in any factor. Certainly is a malign thing. We're like, yeah, I'm not going to be happy with that. But, like, they are right, and I get what they're getting at. But, uh, no, definitely not. I'm not going to allow that to happen. I don't want this shadow group to make all these decisions. That's not their right to do that and to put themselves in that position, mm. right? They don't. They're taking other people's freedom away by like trying to enshrine, enshrine humanity's freedom. Yeah. Yeah, I, dude. It's all semantics and government. I, I mean, yeah, certainly. Uh, Although this, I think this is her first freedom. Yeah, I, I like. She's born and raised this way. Yeah, I think she doesn't I, have a choice. She didn't have a choice on her job. Like, hey, you're Benny Gesserit. We need to infiltrate this and have a baby. Mm-hmm. And like, she was down for okay. it. She and then she negotiated with him. But yeah, I, I I think I like where we're landing. Really, this is Jessica's first Jessica decision, mm-hmm. all on her own. She's done it. She finally grew up. Uh, but she's cut off by a blubbering Gurney Halleck. <laughs> because uh, Gurney is a shame. He drops his uh, chin to his chest, and he's sort of like he goes full mapes. Yeah, yeah, opens it up, but he doesn't. Still suit's still on, though. Yeah, that's true. Uh, he's like, take my life. Paul's just like, no. And he's like, Jessica, take my life. She's, She's like, like, no. no. <laughs> like, why are the Atreides always going to kill the people they love? Come on, now. And uh, 
when Jessica's talks, uh, when Jessica talks, there are even like soothers in her voice. And this is another like voice term that doesn't get defined later on, but I think you can get by context clues what it is. It's hitting these tones that just make everyone feel good. Yeah. Uh, it's a little like Samuta even in the air. And uh, now Gurney's crying. <laughs> everyone's uh, crying. Everyone's been crying. <laughs> Wasting water everywhere. Might as well leave the taps on. This is why we went to a private room. <laughs> we don't want anyone to see this mess. And uh, Jessica reminds Gurney that she loved the balisette over the blade when it came to him. These two yeah. different aspects of Gurney Halle. The man with the balisette rather than the man with the blade. And she's like, Where, where's your balisette, Gurney? Do you have a balisette with you? And Gurney's like, oh, I, I have a new one. Brought from Chusik, a sweet instrument. Plays like a genuine Verota, though there's no signature on it. I, I think myself it was made by a student of Verota who... You just, ha- you just have to get Gurney talking about music and he'll just That's like his, go yeah, on to it. It's the water She knew exactly kind. what to say. Gurney, a balisette? Oh, balisettes. <laughs> But I just love that he's like uh, pining over this great. Um, uh, cr- um, it's uh, like the Stradivarius of uh, Balisette Makers. It really is. So I was looking up like violin makers, Stradivarius yeah. is the one I landed on. Uh, I pulled a little thing from the Dune Encyclopedia for you. Mm. This is the, oh, uh, epigraph to oh. the article for the Balisette. Hey. Uh, this brief history of the Balisette contained in one crystal was undoubtedly written at the time of Moadib. Why blank chose to save it rather than other uh, other longer and more detailed descriptions of balisette making is unknown. One possible explanation might be it was originally written either by Verota himself or a brief popular summary of his life's work, or that it might have been uh, contained in some longer communication possibly written by Gurney Halleck. Ah! So I'm hoping for the latter of them. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is something Gurney wrote down then in the Ballast. The whole article would be Gurney's writing on the Ballast in the yeah. encyclopedia then. Wait, do they keep information stored in crystals? Yeah, uh, in once we get to the Horde. Okay. Yeah. The Rackus Horde? Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, oh, then I take it the blank was the God Emperor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but he was named. He was named. Uh, and then uh, in the encyclopedia, it just pretty much goes off of like Verota was just one of the best on Chusik who ever mm-hmm. made uh, these right. battle sets. Um, now, Paul stands by Jessica, and both of them are facing Gurney at this point. And they just tell him to go ahead and play. And uh, Paul even tells Gurney, battle planning can wait. The war can wait for you to play a song, Gurney Halleck. Gurney gets his battle set from the hallway. Which, okay, forget us roll back for a second. He left it out there. Yeah, and he planned on killing her. So I'm just like, a weird string of events led to this whole bit. But it's, like, it's right out the door. I'll get that. That had to have been awkward as shit. Like, going out that door had to have reminded you what you came in this room to do. Well, do you think that's why Paul is just like, oh, here's Gurney. Because, like, oh, there's Ballastin outside the door. Gurney's inside here. It still makes no I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. No sense. Oh, Balisette. Yeah, fuck it. I'll introduce Gurney. <laughs> <laughs> so Gurney goes. He gets it. He comes back in. And uh, there's a small exchange while Gurney's gone. This is very quick. Paul puts a hand on his mother's arm. Found she was trembling. It, it's over, mother, he said. Without turning her head, she looked up at him from the corner of her eyes. Over? Of course. Gurney's... Gurney. Oh, yes. She lowered her gaze. What do you, what do you think's going on there? I think it's her, like, allegiance with the Bene Gesserit. 
You okay? You think that? I mean, this uh, is this is a new Jessica. She's like, I think she's her sort of. Uh, she's let go of Leto in a way. Okay, but so what is the over? I mean, her manipulations and plans over Paul. I think. Okay. I don't think that's what Paul's referring to, but I think that's immediately what Jessica no, no. was. So I, I think it's very clear they're talking about two different things. Yeah, they're talking and past I, each other. I, but... I'm trying to get at what you think Jessica's thinking. Yeah, no, yeah. I think she's, so... it's the plan, the Benny Gesserit scheming, like, mm-hmm. over Paul, her sort of dictating how his life is going to be and uh, setting up the pieces so it'll happen the way she wants it to. So I think she's thinking of something. There's some other lingering thing, or maybe, like, the Benny Gesserit threat isn't quite over yet or influences on him for like, I, I just get the feeling whatever over is, it's not over, which, oh, is, why she, she, oh. which is why she's questioning. If like, what do you mean? Oh, you're talking about Gurney. That's not at all what I was thinking. Gotcha. About. Gotcha. And maybe it's just the Imperium whole like thing. And uh, it's like the big picture of like getting Paul in the throne kind of deal. Uh, but I'm not sure. I, I, but I like, so we either had the Benny Jesuit or that is kind of like uh rival factions in her mind or rivaling for interest in her mind. Nonetheless, though, she, she's somewhere else in that moment. I just think it's very interesting. Um, but she has been hit with a lot. Like, we have Leto being brung up, Gurney coming back into the fold, her and Paul finally reaching a little consensus. Mm. There's all kind of like, and we haven't even brought up Aaliyah yet. Have we even told Gurney about Aaliyah? Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> we had like 30 days, maybe? I don't know. Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess we have, of like, with Gurney here for 30 days? That is, yeah. that is crazy. We brought up Leto already. Yep, yep. No, what, what? Didn't we? No, Leto is still south. No, no, we brought up the fact brought that... Brought up the fact, okay, sorry. <laughs> we didn't sorry. bring the baby. You, you, you got what I'm saying? <laughs> you know where I was going. Yeah. Like, we didn't bring the baby. <laughs> we had to put a baby sign on that worm. But yeah, I'm sorry. We brought up Leto the first <laughs> in conversation. No, and the second... Oh, that for her being overwhelmed. Gurney knows that there is a baby Leto. That's what I'm oh, saying. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yes. Because yeah. Paul told him directly. Exactly. You also see what I'm saying? We did bring up the baby in conversation too. Where this Jessica is getting thought re- about All right, it. let's move on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, this carries on. Gurney uh, returns. So like I said, we had this moment with him. He uh, comes in, he tunes the ballast set, and he's avoiding eye contact at this point. Mm-hmm. He's ashamed. He's so ashamed. Yeah. Just ding, ding, ding. Gurney's done bad. Paul, uh, he leads Jessica to a cushion, and uh, he now notices the desert years on Jessica. Just the kind of age lines that are, uh, you know, on her eyes and her, the corners of her mouth. Uh, and he has this thought of, like, God, like we need to, she's tired. We need to ease her burdens. We need to make her life easier. Uh, and at this point, he's made his decision, too. Of where we're going to go at the end of the chapter. Yeah. And now Paul tells Gurney uh, he has something he's got to do. Uh, I'll be, I got to take care of something real quick. And he gets up and it's very awkward. Gurney nods, but Gurney's lost in his own thoughts. He's not even really acknowledging Paul. Paul has to force himself to turn away. But the music starts when he's in the hall. So he kind of pauses. It's because he's sort of imagining like this is bringing back a lot of memories of Kaladin. This coming up, I I think it's the uh, oh you don't Listening well no the, you know what his decision is going to be he's going to go yeah, down gonna, to the yeah, worm to the water of life but like yeah um you you think it's the gurneys holding him back I think what he's going to do is he's hesitant to do it okay. but uh, I like I think both could be like yeah 
it's true. It's all of it like hitting me once. So nonetheless, like he pauses. And we get the song that, like, to this day, Mike, even when I read it in the book, I'm like, that's Ivor Gurney. Yeah, uh, that's the got to it. You can't pull it one past me. You want to give it another rendition? No, they can go back and listen to it. <laughs> ice cold. No, I gotcha. Orchards and vineyards and full-breasted horries and a cup overflowing before me. Why do I babble of battles and mountains reduced to dust? Why do I feel these tears? Heavens stand open and scatter their riches. My hands need but gather their wealth. Why do I think of an ambush and poison in molten cup? Why do I feel my years? Love's arms beckon with their naked delights and Eden's promise of ecstasies. Why do I remember the scars, dreams of old transgressions, and why do I sleep with fears? So in looking at that in light of what Gurney's been through, Mm -hmm. I can't help but see like this is him just lamenting of his smuggler years. These two years on Arrakis, because, like, I see this opening one being, like, you know, him with the Atreides and how it was before. And this mountain is reduced to dust. He's left with nothing but tears. We go into the second stanza, and it's him out in the desert. The scatter, the riches. My hands need but gather their wealth. That's spice. Mm -hmm. A handful of spice is your house on two pile, right? He thinks of ambush. That's what Paul did. That's what brought us here. He feels old. And then I also think maybe in that time, and this is very much the Ivor Gurney too. Remember that song or the poem you read of Ivor Gurney where it was like he wrote the love song that he lied to the girl about? This is that last bit where like Gurney's clearly been with various women through this time, whether it be in the pans or like women that the smugglers bring in. And even having these pleasures, he's still just reminded of the scar, you know, the ink vine scar on his face the loss of his duke, the battles he's had, and these fears he sleeps with. Good. It is kind of the perfect song. Really, really is. I'm, I'm just super impressed by it. Um, I think more so than any of us work up until this point, Kearney. Um, now, Paul, like I said, so he stops in the hallway, and he's easing or eavesdropping in on this. So it's just Jessica and Gurney in there, which clearly, yeah. you, you know they're both in their own world at that. It's funny, too, though, that this is a song that he played before Arrakis. Yeah, back on the world. Back on Caledon. And you imagined, like, oh, the entire meaning was so different. Yeah. Right? Like, now with this experience that they both had. Now, a robe Fedaikin, uh, fresh from the open sands, appears at the end of the hall, and Paul motions him to stop. He doesn't want him to even come near here. Yeah, it's like, I'll come to you. Don't interrupt this. Like, this is a moment right now. And, yeah, he walks down to him, and this guy tells him, like, ah, some leaders are here. Uh, and they're here because uh, the Stilgar kind of called them back when he thought we were going to fight. This is really <laughs> awkward. Um, uh, we thought this was a little different, so some people are going to be showing up today. Uh, so about that win, Moody. <laughs> yeah, we should go get that right now. Uh, Paul tells this man to wait here, and when Stilgar comes with the others, take them into the room with Jessica. I have something I have to do somewhere else. He's really confident about this. Yep. <laughs> Get everyone together for a meeting. Either to talk about our war plan when I come back, or, you know, maybe prepare a funeral. Yeah, I, I really love the idea of, like, Paul, I just need five minutes. I'm just going to go kill a worm. I just need five minutes. Five minutes. I just need to chuck some arsenic real quick. Yeah, like, I'll be right back out. I'll be right back. I'll be fine. Um, and this brings us, uh, as Paul makes his way to the basement, we get our last paragraphs for the chapter. <clears throat> the decision had come to Paul while he faced the tension of danger to his mother. 
No line of the future had ever seen carried that moment of peril from Gurney Halleck. The future, the gray cloud future, with its feeling that the entire universe rolled toward a boiling nexus hung around him like a phantom world. I must see it, he thought. His body had slowly acquired a certain spice tolerance that made persistent visions fewer and fewer. His body had slowly acquired a certain spice tolerance that made prescient visions fewer and fewer, dimmer and dimmer. The solution appeared obvious to him. I will drown the Maker. We will see now whether I'm the Kwisatch Haderach, who can survive the test that the Reverend Mothers had survived. That's right. It's a re- really end. good cliffhanger. We, yeah. Oh my. Of, of them all, Frank. <laughs> it's a really good done. one. Because we know how dangerous that is with what we saw Jessica go through. Yeah. Now, Paul is going to. Also, they probably have a team of Fremen going to drown that worm. He's going to do it himself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just want to put that out there too. It was always the team or just Mapes. Uh, we were never sure. It's gonna suplex that worm. <laughs> yeah, like, get in the sink. Because uh, it's surrounded by water, right? It's not always in water because yeah. they would be freaking out and dying. Exactly. Yeah, it's got like a little. It sounds like I mean, it's like a little rock pen with like a little like basin around it of water. Yeah, it sounds really sad if you look. Yeah, big, it, it can't. No matter how big it is, it's not big enough for a worm. No, I'm just not like, at all. No. Oh, this poor worm. <laughs> I don't know why, but I've got this vision of like a worm with a cone. Like a dog cone. Cone on its head. Yeah. Which makes no sense. <laughs> I'm like, what does that do? It's, oh, it's not going to go in the sand. But it's in a rock, so it wouldn't matter. But like, can you measure if you had to it, it, it just funnels the sand into it. Yeah, but you have to lodge it into the ring segments to get keep the cone on there. Oh, oh that's okay. Ah. I didn't know how your cone was anchored, Mike. So, that's another way to mess with a worm. You just get a giant cone. Giant cone. Mike's patent pendant, but not really useful. <laughs> oh, but uh, with this, this is the thing you, I think you wanted to reference right at the beginning of no line of the future he had ever seen carried that moment of peril from Gurney Halleck. So what just happened in that room? He didn't see it coming. Ever. In every vision he's had, this has been something Which is new. a good thing, because like... He's, I don't. Well, oh, yeah. I think he's looking for alternate ways That's to get through. That's worth diving into. You, yeah, you think it's a good. thing? I think it's a good thing. Okay, because because he wants alternate ways, and you think it's just revealing, like, oh, if there's this, there's, there's another mo- way. There's more that I haven't yeah, seen. Then, sure. but he can't pierce it. He doesn't. You know, he's resistant to the spice after like two to three years of eating that mm. diet. Yeah, just like I need more. I need to pierce that veil, and he's gonna do it with the maker. Yeah. Tried to. Yeah. With uh, the water of life. Um, yeah. Okay. I, oh, I, I can see some dark clouds too. Um, I mean, obviously you have a better insight of this than me. But... Uh, well, certainly. Yeah. I would never reveal something like that though. So Mike, how do you think he's going to do? I think maybe three rounds with the worm before he finally pins it. You think it's a worm, uh, a heavy wrestling chapter? Yeah. <laughs> 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 We we don't even get to the breast. It's a really mini Karina. This book is just going to end with Paul pinned under a worm. We're like, nope, the Harkonnens win. <laughs> he tried. No, that Paul is, or that worm, that, Paul, that, that Paul. worm, that worm has called out Paul, and that is now the true ruler of Arrakis. No, yeah, forevermore. That's the Duke. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you no no debate here. I I saw how Marte works, but uh, no, I think he's uh, he's going to survive it. If he doesn't survive it, these next few chapters are going to be really awkward. It definitely will. It'll be a yeah. long epilogue. But hey, but uh, you were you were uh, chanting Aaliyah the whole way through. That's true. I'm curious to see how it's going to end. We only have like 
four or five chapters left, right? Yeah, good. Uh, I think five now. So I think the next chapter will be all about his experience. Because, like, if we don't get his perspective on it, on it, I think that'd be really weird. We got Lady Jessica's, and we know this is going to be so much weirder. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you got Aaliyah's, too. A little and Aaliyah's, bit, a little yeah. Belated, we even got Aaliyah's. Yeah, so, yeah, like, came around, came I kind of hope the next chapter we get, like, the full uh, experience with Paul and the Water of Life. All right. I like it. I like it. Um, do you got anything else you want to throw in there before we move on? No, I think that's it. Right. Hey, let's... Uh, Let's drown this maker and refill some wine. <laughs> we can drown the maker with the wine. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, that took a that took a little bit more wrestling than I thought. <laughs> hey, but that worm is dead. <laughs> that worm is dead. Um, so a moment of silence for the worm. <laughs> Just enough time for me to you know take a sip and. Bring up a little something, Derek. Oh, what do you got there? What are you thinking of? Well, you know, uh, I just wanted to let you know that we partnered with Audible. You're thinking Chome Taxes. Yeah, Chome Taxes. And right now, they're offering our listeners a free 30-day trial when they visit audibletrial.com slash Pod. Oh, that is awesome. It's pretty good news. So when they sign up, they get a credit that they can use to pick from one of thousands of titles, like Doom. Of course. My first audiobook. Yes, sir. And two credits if you sign up with your Amazon Prime account instead. Oh, and I can't recommend that enough. It's Yeah, it's really convenient. So from then on, every month, you'll get another credit that you can use to pick from another audiobook from their entire collection. Now, mm-hmm. what are you reading currently? Ooh. Well, Mike, you know what? Uh, every now and then, uh, when I'm home on the weekend, I'll dip back into a book I've done. So like when I play Kerbal Space Program, I throw on Failure's Not an Option by Gene Krantz. Hey. But this past weekend, there's something that prompted me to remember a story about T.E. Lawrence, so Lawrence of Arabia. And uh, so the book that I dipped back into is called Hero, The Life and Legend of Lawrence of Arabia by Michael Corda, which also that name, Corba, Corda, yeah, Ah, something there. And it's just, this is a whole biography of Thomas Edward Lawrence and his trials during uh, World War One, where he earned the moniker Lawrence of Arabia. And the story that I wanted to like uh, cue into was he had an, uh, this guy that taught him how to use explosives when he was brought into the war effort. They like hook him up with this teacher and the guy's name was Herbert Garland. Okay. And what was awesome about Herbert Garland was he was just like a madman. And he basically like taught him like, look, as long as you don't have the detonator in there, throw them, toss them. Don't, he was not careful with explosive. He's like, they're toys. Here you go. He would just teach them like, be, do whatever you got to do with them. Like we get the shit done. And uh, there was one train line that came down uh, all the way to Medina in Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia from Turkey. Mm-hmm. So uh, Lawrence was bombing this train uh, all the time. And yeah. it was because of Garland to showed him how to do it, how to use explosives, how to target it. And there were these so many great instances where like they would run out, they would plant explosives on the charge to run back and they'd wait and they would be on like a trigger so like the train would go over and it would detonate right mm-hmm. they don't have like a plunger and you're waiting and one time they set it up they're all hiding train starts coming by and they can see it's just loaded with school children <gasps> as far as I can see and the bomb just happened to not go off and this oh train goes by god. and they're just like oh my god <laughs> thank you thank you Jesus um, oh my god let me show you this uh, picture here this is a train toppled over by an explosive from Gerard uh, or Garland I want to call him Gerard for some reason <laughs> Garland up in the desert in Medina there with some people standing on that's it. the only scene I remember from that movie my dad was a big fan of it oh yeah yeah oh my god it's dude 
the guy's a madman. And uh, there's so many characters within this book that uh, Michael Corba does a did I just give him the wrong name? Corda. I uh, gave him the Fremen name. Uh, but he does a great job of bringing these auxiliary figures to the legend of Thomas Edward Lawrence. He brings them alive. So I can't help but recommend you guys check out Hero, the Life and Legend of Lawrence of Arabia by Michael Corda. That is great. And always bringing it back to Dune. I gotta love it. But Derek, 30 days are up. What if you don't like it? Well... You're going to go, you're going to take uh, Audible into a hall with your mother and say, oh, here's Audible. Oh, God, Audible has my mother by the throat and is saying, you can cancel now or I'm going to make you pay. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's touching. But they'll give you a little warning email, Mike. <laughs> Just like, hey, you guys, your 30 days are going to be up. You don't want to get charged. And it's nice that they do that. I always hate those hidden uh, reoccurring expenses. Yeah, they're going to kill your mother. <laughs> they're going to kill your mother. Hey, even if you do cancel, and why would you, get to keep your entire library. Everything you've added in there. Yeah. Even the originals. Even the originals. We know you understand the value of a good book. You read Dune. We're going to help you get a free audiobook when you visit audibletrial.com slash SpiceWorldPod. So if you guys head out there, send us some book recommendations our way too. Whatever you pick up with your free trial from audibletrial.com slash SpiceWorldPod. There we go. All right. You ready for this? Oh, my guy's born ready. Let's do this. So, Mike, we got, oh, we're on to beer now. Uh, so we've been killing wine quick lately, uh, though these shows have been running pretty long. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I pulled a deep dive that's going to be familiar and new all at the same time. Do you want to take a stab? It was in the chapter. It was mentioned, even. Oh? It was pressed on a certain officer. Wait, wait, wait. We're going Samuta. Yeah, so I we already like learned everything we needed to about Samuda and Ferota. Not quite, because what chapter was that? that we Ferota is not a drug. He's a he's Ver- an instrument. Verite. Yeah, Verite. Ferota makes balisets. Like that's not right. Samuta, I said it. Samuta Verota. I get. Yeah, I said it immediately. Like regretted it. Yeah, Verite. Uh, it was Samuta and Verite, but it was way back before we knew what we were doing, Mike. Right. And, I, and I gave you a brief overview, but I was like, oh, we don't want to go fully into this. So I just kind of. you're going to understand half of this. Yeah, that actually was probably a valid point, too. Yeah. Uh, but now, like, we are so ingrained in, like, the little nitty gritty details. We're ready to do the full Samuta article. All right. And uh, should I, I get some balance music playing? Oh, yeah. A little, oh, yeah. A little, I just need a twang. It's got to be atonal music. Ooh, okay. That's the key. That's the key. Now, Samuta or Star Song. Oh. <gasps> What a good right? name. Like, why don't we call it that, Frank? Why have mm. you been saying Samuta this whole time? It's a highly ad- uh, addictive narcotic derived by crystal extraction from alaka drug, the residue produced by burning the blood-grained alaka wood of a cause. So alaka drug is this generic thing we've been making for thousands of years, and it's sort of... Um, it uh, it's used in war actually as a lot of like siphoning away the will to fight essentially, mm. uh, and then this one doctor is gonna stumble on that we can like ooh make an actual like uh painkiller almost with it. So while there is evidence that a locker drug was in relatively common use as early as ninety seven fifty one. Uh, AG, so that's going to be 440 years. Uh, and so each date I'm going to give you is based off the starting of Dune. Okay. So that 10191. Yeah. Uh, given that you know we're a few years removed from that point, mm-hmm. that's like a good static point that I'll base every time frame from. Now, the exact process that produced Samuta was not discovered until uh, 10,092. Mm-hmm. So it's literally 99 years ago. 
that's the first time Samuta comes on the scene. So this is kind of like, uh, I think LSD would be the best uh, comparison what, for what us. What year did you say it was? It was 99 years ago. Credit for this development is awarded to Pavon Harley, a Caladan physician and pharmacist. Oh. Yeah. So we're going to Caladan in the year, like, uh, so this would have been uh, 1092, right? 10,092? Yes. So who do you think this puts us in the lifetime of, Mike? I think this puts us in Minotaurus. Minotaurus. Ooh. He is our duke right now while Pavlon Harley does his work. Now, he specialized in battlefield medicine, and um, he was well acquainted with the effects produced by the Alaka drug because it weakened the will to survive. It was often employed as a chemical weapon planted in the imposing army's water supply. This is LSD. Yeah, well, no, 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 no. There's some big differences there. LSD does not just get rid of your will to survive. You'd all be having revelations. No, just the the parallel that, like, you know, poison their supply with, like, this drug. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Not poison, which is something that also, like, have a fair amount. Or do you think a... uh, Oh, like Chamas or Chamarki? Yeah, do you think... Well, it'd be Chamarki. Do you think a sniffer or a snooper would... uh, it, mu- it must. It must, right? Yeah. Just because of the, how the snooper works. Mm-hmm. And clearly this is a snooper time frame. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. You, I think you just hit that dead on. Okay. I would not have even guessed that, and that's not in the article. Hey! I, didn't want to, I just want to give you credit where credit is. <laughs> we gave Pedro all that credit, Mike. You just earned your, yeah. your keep today. Uh, I think it's exactly what it must be and why you would end up doing it. Or plot hole, because uh, we have <laughs> snoopers, guys. How yeah, are you getting to exactly. this in the water supply? Now, faced as a military doctor so often was with the large number of wounded for whom there was simply no hope of help, Harley began to experiment with various Alaka derivatives, hoping to find one that could be used to ease the passing of dying troops. His search eventually led him to Samuta. So he's just trying to help out these dying soldiers that are like beyond any means of help. Like they are going to die today. What can I do to make it easier? The drug was everything he could have wished. The crystals, either taken in capsule form or dissolved in wine, I assume Caledonian wine, (laughs) uh, produced the feeling of timeless ecstasy, of separation from all pain and trouble. Accentuating this overpowering sense of well-being was the Samuta music, rhythmic atonal vibrations set up in uh, in the sympathetic nervous system, which accompanied the drug experience. It was this aspect that brought Samuta its more poetic name, being Star Song, which, that's a good name. I love that name. I'm going to use that for something. I'm pretty sure that is like a, um, oh, who's like Ziggy Stardust? I feel like yeah. that's one of his names. <laughs> a little bit of Bowie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like a, a Ziggy Stardust cousin, Star Song. Um, it's the name of his horse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a perfect Now, uh, Harley noted in his memoirs. uh, Oh, by the way, I got two options here, Mike, for a voice. All right. I know. Yeah, I see that that face. Uh, Harley is potentially a Scottish name. Pavon is either, uh, it's like a Spanish or French. Where do you want me to roll? Oh, column A, column B. Can you mix it? I appreciate the challenge, and I would have thought you'd shy away from (laughs) such a thing. 
<laughs> we might have to pause on this <laughs> one, but I'm going to try. You're taking a big swig real quick. Nothing with the drug soldier ever showed dismay at dying. It is doubtful that most of them realized the death had touched them at all. Is that, is that kind of a... <laughs> it's a... <laughs> in my world, when Harley gets to a semicolon, he switches uh, <laughs> I think it's the only quote I have from him, though. <laughs> but everyone's just like, thank God. <laughs> yeah, probably. Except for that one guy that appreciated my Jamaican accent. <laughs> <laughs> but just saying, he goes into his memoirs, and um, these soldiers uh, drug for this. It's doubtful that they even realized they were dying. Oh, that's how wow. powerful Samuta is. And uh, obviously, that's fine for this dying mission accomplished. Soldiers. Yeah, they, that's exactly. what he wanted it to do. Mm -hmm. Now, the unfortunate facet of Samuta was its addictive qualities. Uh, well, it's not such a bad thing if you're going to die anyways, right? Yeah, most often a single dose sufficed to cause severe psychological addiction. In the case of the mortally wounded, of course, this was not a consideration. Yeah. Yeah. In the case of its discoverer, however, it was an unending regret. Harley had tested a dose of Samuta crystal on himself. on himself. Oh, he became addicted to it. And he continued to use the drug for the remainder of his steadily less productive life. Oh, damn. It's pretty hard. And he would have never known. Mm -hmm. He couldn't have never known. But, like, it's sort of what happens. Um, the guy who invented uh, the nicotine patch, mm -hmm. that was an accident. Because he got nicotine, uh, liquid nicotine on him. And realized it gave him, like, a weird, nauseous, like, heady feeling. Oh, and it was like, oh, oh, we could use this and developed a way to use it in a productive manner. Uh, anecdotally, I actually know a friend who, uh, this was when I lived in California. He administered, uh, it was a like a liquid THC to a patient. And he knew, it was like, uh, he's like, yeah, I noticed after a while, like the days when I treated this patient, I would go home and sleep like a baby. And it was because, like, some of it would get on him accidentally, oh, like, every like now and then. It. Yeah, yeah, a little drop, just because, yeah. like, it was, like, sloppy to deal with it or some manner. Um, so I just think it's interesting that, like, that comes up so many times in the medical field that uh, you end up kind of trying it on yourself in a way. Now, so we know his life is going to kind of peter out, essentially, now that he's, he's already addicted to this point. It's sort of like we've started a timer. Once the methods used to manufacture Samuta became known, massive use of the narcotics sprang up in the various militaries throughout the Imperium. Oh, no. In services commanded by kindlier houses, use or possession of Samuta was generally grounds for discharge. Yeah, I mean, like, you're just going to get worse and worse at what you do. Yeah, you, you can't do your job anymore. For those in more stringent services, the consequences ranged from blackmail through enforced withdrawal... And there was a notable percentage of uh, fatalities in such cases to immediate execution. So you think Harkonnens, essentially. Harkonnens and Atreides are, are lining up there. Yeah, That Samuta addicts made uh, poor fighters was unarguable. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you can tell. They're the ones that don't bring their gun to battle. <laughs> I was like, where did I leave that? In addition to their uselessness during their ecstasies, oh, no. addicts were prone to such fits of depression between doses that there were instances of soldiers walking into enemy fire rather than facing the agonies of withdrawal. Jesus. Yeah. Now, Mike, that made me think one thing. Nafood is a high-functioning Samuta addict. 
Wow. How is he operating with, I don't like, know. extreme lows, extreme highs in threatening situations? He was very well composed. I love that Baron already knew he was an actor. It's just like, oh, yeah, that one. He's been at for a while. I'm going to promote him to the head of my security. <laughs> well, again, he he likes knowing their vices. It's not just a vice. Like, you know what the drug does, right? Okay, He's yes. not going to be good at his job. Although, yeah. admittedly, he has, you know, he has, he right, has high functioning. He He's done the bare minimum. (laughs) In a way, I see your point, but also he defies expectation. (laughs) That's true. That is what you say. And no, he brought me back all the bodies. I feel like we need to give more credit to Nafood now. I've been trying to do that all book, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) I've given a lot of credit to Nafood while we've been here. He had to go kill like five people that one day. I didn't realize he'd been ingesting liquid sloth, though. (laughs) The whole time? Yeah. He's been playing with a handicap. Yeah. (laughs) He's the real Chris (laughs) Atatarak. Now, the drug uh, quickly made its way to the civilian population as well. At one point, during the peak of its popularity, it was hypothesized that as much as 50% of a lack of wood a cause sold for off-planet export eventually became Samuta crystals. Jesus. Now, that's one of the things that I told you the, back in yeah, the day. Yeah, I didn't really appreciate that, though. 50% of the exported wood drugs. Granted, yeah. Straight drugs. Now, by the year 10185, six years before Dune begins, Samuta addiction had come to be considered one of the Imperium's most insidious health problems. Yeah, I bet. The effects of which the effects of which were felt on every planet. Leaders and officials from Shaddam the Fourth down spoke publicly of controls, but privately despaired of ever containing. I recall. The I recall you saying this. That, yeah, yeah, that one I was pulled out because uh, I just pulled little bits. I was like, "Oh, this will be useful for right, what right, we're right. doing." But like now, this whole story is so much better, right? Yeah. Knowing the full color of it. Uh, all legislation aside, traffic in the drug apparently continued unabated. Approx- until approximately uh, 10,380. Oh. So we have another 200 years of pure Samuta on the market. Dang. That means Paul doesn't stop it. It's good. It's rolling. Shaddam didn't stop it. It's going to be. food certainly didn't stop it. No, no. Uh, up, up, up. Why do you think it just because they were able to like finally get under control? Or do you think it's because, hey, we just ran out of wood? <laughs> Wouldn't that be so nice? <laughs> Mike, oh, I, we're actually going to get into it, and uh, I have my own take on wh- why it actually spins out this right. way. Now, beginning with that year being uh, 10,380, the con- and um, sorry, and continuing until the end of the century, two trends combined to reduce the flow of Samuta to a faltering trickle. First, in the decade that began with uh, 10,380, a lock wood production dropped by nearly 90%. 90%? 90%. Like did everyone is everyone high on the same drug? Like what happened? <laughs> All the growers? Well, some form of botanical plague, never satisfactorily oh. diagnosed, was believed to be at fault. As all attempts, and there had been many, to coax a lack of wood to grow off-planet had been unsuccessful, the amount of base material available for conversion to Samuta declined accordingly. Second, the mores of the period had changed. So you're going from 50% to 5% more or less. 
Yeah. Of like, like no, honestly, huge difference. we're going down to zero when it gets to the end of this. But uh, nonetheless, all production, see, total production is down 90%. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, no, so what I think, Mike, is what the, we're going to get pitched here is I think this author just totally bought into the war on drugs. Oh. This is sort of like an idealized image of like, hey, what if the war on drugs works? Now, you and I get to sit here from the vantage point of like, no, sir. That's I not remember me. those dare shirts. Mm-hmm. So this continues of uh, where addicts had been treated, ignored, or even pitied. Those whose dependency on the drug became known uh, more often faced harsh imprisonment coupled with unaided Samuta withdrawal. Such stern dealings with known addicts combined with the drug's greatly increase in scarcity and accompanying soaring prices made experimentation increasingly unattractive. Meaning that they were experimenting like beforehand? Well, just saying people that taken the drug. Oh, just oh, the drug users. I thought you were talking about like the people in the institutions where they housed the addicts were experimenting no, 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 with no, the no, addicts. No. I was just like, Jesus we're Christ. Because again, it fell into the civilian population. Okay, yeah. We're I, trying to get it out of the I, civilian. I see where you're coming from now. Yeah. So he's saying now, like, no, instead of like treating the addicts or ignoring them, we are the harshest penalties are being slapped onto them. And because we've made it so hard to get a lock of the scarcity has driven up the price. No one will do drugs if they're expensive, Mike. Right. That's true, right? Just because you can't. <laughs> no, the point is they will. They will steal whatever they have to to get their drugs. I mean, if they're that, uh, dep- if they're already addicted to it, yeah. Which, Samuta is the most addicted. This, okay. this is the heroin, the uh, opiate of their day. Yeah, no, no, no. I was going to push back. You fucking bought me back. It's fine. We're Thank good. You. Bringing you right to the end here, then. By 10,410, uh, 10, there was no record of any subject of the Empyrean suffering from addiction. While a limited number of Alaka wood is known to grow wild on a cause at the present time, mm. there has been no interest shown in reviving Samuta manufacture. Ooh. And I'm just like, again, that's the idealized version of the war of drugs. Imagine if harsh penalties and criminal enticement really got rid of all drugs. No. I think Reagan just wrote that article. I don't don't know. Uh, But that brings me to the end of my article on Samuta. That was was really enjoyable. Thank you. Now, I'm wondering if... No, I guess I wouldn't... uh, Maybe. What are you thinking? I was wondering if maybe uh, Piter's residual poison is a weird sort of uh, love child between Spice and Samuta. Uh, I mean, I think you can drop... Well, wait, what is Piter's poison? I was going to say drop Spice, but I guess you don't have to. Oh, I feel... Yeah, it, yeah. It's no, really synonymous with Spice. It really is. You know, no, I think mixing the both of them is totally... I'm right on back. Yeah. But take, like, the uh, the addictive qualities to it. To the point where, but without the uh, psychological, like, interference. It's sort of like adding the withdrawal factor of Samuta to Spice. Exactly. Right? Like, it's upping the withdrawal, the the deficits from Samuta with the benefits of Spice, almost. Mm-hmm. Of, like, the undetectability and shit of, like, Spice is so right. beneficial for it's you. It's like where you can, like, maybe you can taste. Although, you yeah. can't even detect uh, the residual poison at all, can you? Well, because it's not a poison. It's the not oh, having Oh, that's right. It, You're giving it once and then not having Not the having it is you. the poison. So, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, like, it's a really... 
of all the things that Frank has, I'm like that's honestly one of the really it's, clever ones, it's, right? Yeah, because the snooper won't tell. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. know, and it it accurately gets around oh. the snooper within the mechanics that Frank has built in the world. Oh, Piter, you clever blue-eyed boy! Oh, of course, of course. And with every good uh, deep dive, we also have a, a good little game. I like to assume they're good. Yeah, I mean, it's not even really a game at this point. But <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Let me just give you a lecture real quick. Yeah. Let me put on my bow tie. It's time for Daniel's Dune Gazetteer. Excellent. So, uh, with this game, we take... Er- <laughs> with this lecture... <laughs> <laughs> we take, sorry, Mike. You called a game, buddy. No, you, you, uh, you're right. No, I'm just like I'm having an identity crisis right now. <laughs> so, with this segment, we take a look at the stars and plans of Frank Herbert's Dune, a Gazetteer by Joseph M. Daniels. I love it. Off it's, to the stars we go. Off to the stars. It's really fun, and uh, I, I've got sort of a lineup of the remaining uh, stars and plans I want to do mm-hmm. leading up to the end of the book. We've got to count. Maybe. Uh, I'll just get into it now. System data. Star designation. Belt of bonus. Star name. None. Distance from old Earth. 19.9 light years. Spectral type. G5V. Yellow-white. Main sequence. Magnitude. 3.55. Absolute magnitude. 4.62. Known planets. Caladan. Oh, but as soon as you said Delta, uh, Delta, I was like, wait, it's wait. like, yeah, Pavonis was that it? What was the system that uh, Arrakis, Arrakis is Capricorn or Canopus? Canopus. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it would be Canopus three. Arrakis is the third planet from. Hey, you got the gazetteer, not me. <laughs> uh, right, uh, but no, no. So then Delta, and, oh, and Harmonthep was the other planet in this system, right? Now, unknown planet, there is a little question mark for Harmonthip. Get the fuck out. There is. They don't know, or? He what, he wants to believe it, but he can't find any empirical data to suggest that Harmonthip <laughs> is part of this system. I love it. Frank so thoroughly destroyed that planet. <laughs> Daniel's like, I it's, don't know. It's not in the Rackus Horde. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's great. That, honestly, but, uh, I should expect nothing else. I could, I, after this, I'll scroll up to the Harmonthip. Uh, actually, you know what? I'll just fucking do that now. Okay. <laughs> feed me. Feed me. <laughs> All right, so gotta gotta feed you, Derek. So I, I scrolled up to Harvinthep on here real quick. Thank you. I recalled it being a sentence long. Yeah. It is actually like seven paragraphs long. I'm gonna just gonna give you. <laughs> I'm just gonna give you a quick taste. I'm not gonna go through the whole okay. thing. This is about Callahan. I don't even know what to call that, but that's some glossing over, Mike. <laughs> I know. So uh, there is a mystery here, besides the obvious, given its proximity to Caladan, an attractive planet in the same star system. How could Harmonthep be destroyed by unknown causes? Surely the future home of the Atreides had been developed no later than Harmonthep, and even we of this primitive century did not fail to observe a comet colliding with another satellite of Sol, much less a planet-shattering event. Yeah! So... According to what we know, it's supposed to be within the trading system, but like, how is that possible? How do you miss something like that? How do you lose a planet? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm waiting for you to give me the answer. <laughs> I is, don't have one. Yeah. There is no answer, and that okay. is the point. It's about oh my god. That, so it did it ever exist? I don't know, but I bet there's a big like conspiracy board that uh has been passed down throughout all the Atreides generations. That's what's in the orphan room. That's what, that's that's all the orphan room really is. It's a sham. That's what they're working. <laughs> Just yarn. 
All right, so. Oh, okay, that, that's pretty cool. It's wise. pretty good. So, as you know, I always have three little segments I like to do. The history, the etymology, and the place in space. Now, history, we know some history about Kaladin. Uh, this is going to be more. Being just a trade It's history? just going to, yeah. Yes. It's just going to be a quick reminder of some of the things we've already gone over in other deep dives. Sure. I don't want to get too into it, but. I can hear that. Moving on. Kaladin is the third planet of Delta Bavonis, the homeworld of House Atreides, and the place of birth of Paul Muad'Dib. <gasps> However really? much Arrakis was his place. <laughs> <laughs> nice touch. <laughs> nice job, Daniels. Uh, its chief agricultural export will be Pundi rice. Mm-hmm. Now, at the beginning of the Dune Chronicles, the Atreides had lived in Castle Caladan for 26 generations. The encyclopedia gives us a list of 46 Atreides Siradar Dukes of Caladan. Yes, he does. From Paulos the 16th to later the 1st. I love the, the, oh, that. Later uh, the 1st. It actually goes all the way to Paulos the 19th, which is our current Paulos. Oh. He just became oh, he, he just became Duke today, Mike. He didn't change his name to Paulos, though. He does in the in the bio, in the encyclopedia. Oh. Literally after. Does it happen in the books? No, no. It's oh. like I told you I never knew this until we but went in through. in history, he's known as in, Paulos the 19th. In that list of Cyrodar Atreides Dukes, literally it goes Leto the 1st, Paulos the 19th, Leto the 2nd. Oh. So they're, they're all in there. Uh, it didn't. Wait, I don't. Why didn't it include later the second in here? I don't oh, know. Cause, oh, twenty six to later the first. So it'd be yes. twenty. Yeah, yeah. Seven twenty eight. Because you're ta- you're taking the line from the first chapter, right? And right, you're right. applying it to the trading. So it'd be so uh, technically this twenty eight that we know of. Ah, <laughs> ah. Ah, good, good job. It's pretty good. Now, Paulus uh, the sixteenth was said to have occupied Castle Caladan in eight thousand seven hundred twenty two. That's the earliest one. Yeah. Okay. I think I was uh, in my mind thinking like five or six thousand. But okay, so it's eight thousand is when they settle, or at least Which that's that... when Paulos was in Castle Caledon. When was Castle Caledon built? Because I think that might be more. Th- so he's the duke that assumes it. It was okay. Yes, because it was built by a um, the cousin or a brother who was not duke. He was like the was Ag- it Agamemnon. No, 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 no. Agamemnon's like our super Greek heritage. Right, right, This right. was just one of the Atreides kind of people. And uh, he was like more of an academic. And his brother or uh, cousin or whatever was like the more militarized dude. Gotcha, gotcha. So gotcha. he was like, look, I just want a p- pretty world to like retire on, bro. Like, I'm just going <laughs> to kick back. And then he- Here's did- a treehouse. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then he got ascended to Duke through yeah. like uh, circumstances. Gotcha. All right, so continuing on, this is interesting. The ducal list of 46 would seem to contradict the canonical 26 generations. That sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> but here's an interesting thing. If one carefully avoids incorrectly counting brothers, cousins, and nephews <laughs> as being in different generations yeah. from their siblings and cousins, then he finds no. 26 generation precondition satisfied. <laughs> I just want to say, Daniel's. That is impressive. It's also, like, very generous on Frank's house. It is super. Yeah. But, like, he does address it. That's cool. I love it. Now, this timeline seems acceptable. The 26th generations cover 1,469 years of about 57 years per generation. This is a considerably higher ratio than used in our own time. Generally, about three generations are estimated per century. Now, life expectancy, thanks to the spice, will have been extended. Thank you. Although I know of no explanation of its effect, if any, on the onset of puberty and menopause. Ooh. Would that affect how... uh... That's a valid point. 
mainly i guess i'm zoning or focusing on the menopause part okay but like we've only heard i think a spice age reference to men later in life being i reflect on shaddam mm-hmm. looking 30 when he was 80 mm-hmm. right but like we don't have any reference to women so i i don't know what to make off of that interesting yeah but uh moving forward Caledon will probably be settled by the 7th century BG, since Harmanthep, in the same system, received its Zensuni contingent in 6049 AG. Okay. So, so that's like that, a thousand years that's, later. That's his guess based on Harmanthep being in the system, which I guess they say that Harmanthep is in the system. Yeah. Harmanthep is a mystery. I don't understand Harmanthep. I mean, Mike, when we did that Zinsuni wandering, I was like, I don't know what to tell you about this, but like this planet's just gone. (laughs) I I don't know why it's included if you skip it. It's so weird. Honestly, like that's the mystery I want to (laughs) solve. What the fuck was going through your head? Oh my God. I think it's something, I think he lost a page. We just need like a side podcast, the Harmanthep hypothesis. Oh, good. I didn't know we already had a title ready. (laughs) You, You can alliterate anything. Now, going into etymology, this is a very big section. Okay. This is something you got, you got a lot to pull out. Now, at first I considered that the name of Caledon might be a corrupt form of Caledonia, the Roman name for Northern Britain. Names alluding to Scotland have certainly been attached to far-flung places. The New Hebrides, New Caledonia, Nova Scotia immediately come to mind. In the deep dive we just did, Harley, being Pavon Harley, was a Scottish name. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Now, one can imagine my surprise when I discovered a much more likely origin. <gasps> it seems that there is a Caledon River in Myanmar, currently known as Burma. Ooh. And I did not think much of this until I discovered it was in the old Burmese province of Arakan, now Rakhine. Get the... F- really? Yeah. R-A... Like, spell it out for me. R-A-K-H-I-N-E. Ooh, okay, okay. Yeah. And uh, uh, Arakan, A-R-A-K-A-N. So very similar. And what, what is Arakan? That's the province, what it was known as before, and now it's known as Rakhine. So, oh. Yeah, we're going to go what? into that. We're okay, going to go into that. Okay, yeah, yeah. Now, indeed, the old capital of Arakan is on the Caladan River. As I will explain at the appropriate place within the Gazetteer, I think there were other influences <laughs> in the naming of Arrakis, but I suspect that Caladan came from the connection of the river Caladan with the city of Arakan. This would mean that Herbert had noticed the similarity of Arakane or Rakine to Arrakis, Rakis, and Arakine, Keen, which is what this capital was known as. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, you already know the planet is going to go through some name changes yeah. as time goes on. It will become Rakis. It was Arrakis. Arakine, the capital. I'm, I'm loving this. So this is insane. And that made, a name, that made full use of the name of the river as well. Now, it should come as no surprise that rice is the uh, principal I crop was ask that. of these Burmese province, as it is of much of Caledon. Now, unfortunately, much of the land is untillable, though. Within, now, within now uh, or in general? Within uh, Burma. Okay. Yeah, within uh, Arakan province. Okay. Rakhine province now. Rakhine. I thought that was cool. It's just like, oh, the fact that it's also rice. It's like that connection is so hard to dispute or ignore, you know? Like, yeah. you have to be like... There's got to be something there. There's a lot. There's, There's got to be something there. Um, uh, the Fremen believe there are no coincidences. Ooh. Yeah. Now this is interesting because uh, we're going so along the etymology here, but we're gonna we're gonna go a little bit big picture. We're gonna broaden things uh, within the Imperium itself. Okay. And the reason we're doing that is Daniels continues. 
That this Burmese origin brings us to old British India is not inappropriate either. Several titles associated within the Imperium and Pascarino are derived from Persian court language of the Mughal emperors of India. These titles were passed through the imperial terminology of the Turkish Empire as well as bequeathed to the British Raj. The most obvious is the Persian Padshah, meaning Master King, which nice. yielded Padishah. Yeah! Uh, this title was used by the Ottoman ruler, the Shah of Iran, the British monarch as the ruler of India, and of course, House Karino. It may have also been the origin of the Turkish Pasha or Basha, the later variant obviously being the origin of the rank of the Bashar used in the Sardaukar Imperium. Yeah. Uh, also, a Bene Gesserit general rank. Ah, see, I think it's just the rank in general it within is. the Imperium. It's, uh, I believe it's actually a rank drawing back from, like, our actual Earth yeah, language. No, yeah. yeah, that's what it's saying here. Okay, yeah. Uh, it's just a... Uh, mm come in the last two books, Heretics of Dune and Chapter House Dune, one of the golas uh, we kind of bring back is a Bashar, Miles uh-huh. Tay. And uh, they make a big point of explaining to you what Bashar is entirely. Even though it is in Dune, it finally gets like a little like uh, spotlight That's uh, really in the later books. That's really dope. Now the imperial rank of Sirdar comes from Sirdar, a British Indian term meaning a high noble, military officer, or chief servant. It was from Persian, Sardar, meaning literally head of holding or leader. The term was also used as the title of commander-in-chief of the Anglo-Egyptian army. So that's where Sirdar comes from. Yeah, and that uh, that turned up in Leslie Blanche's book, uh, Sabres of Paradise. Oh. We have one of the things, like, it was in uh, that Arabic language. Of Interesting. Of them using Sirdar uh, as, uh, I think it was the word for governor. Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, granted, that's all overlapping because that's right in that same area. You think we're just bordering India at that point with the Caucasus. Oh, well, let me just go ahead and add on to this. Sure, Daniels. let's keep going. <laughs> Daniels is right on your wavelength Does there. Does he there. literally drop land? It is interesting that a similar term, Sarkar, derived from Persian Sarkar, meaning head of work, was used in Indian to describe a government clerk and by extension, the government as a whole. It is tempting... Ooh... Interesting. He's going a step further. Mm. It is tempting <laughs> to see combined form of Sardakar as the origin of Sardakar, perhaps under the influence of another Indian term, Subadar, the governor of a province, the equivalent of an army captain. Uh, what was the word? Sarkar? Uh, Sarkar. Sarkar. Okay. Yeah. Combined yeah. with uh, Subadar. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm missing the D there, but I'm, I'm on board. Again, so many I mean, simil- just taking little things and being like, this yeah. sounds good. I'm like, there's so this many similarities, I can't ignore it, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I just think that's really cool. That is, that is awesome. Now, speaking of rulers of Persian, India. I, and I was, as I so <laughs> often do. This is really cool. Uh, let it be noted that in 1739, Nadir Shah of Persia invaded India and took the actual throne. Peacock throne. Of the Mughal emperors as loot known as the Peacock throne. Yes. <laughs> you did it. You guys would be besties. I was going to actually bring this up in the beginning, and I'm, but I'm like, no, Mike, you told me not to go on tangents. Don't go on a tangent, Derek. Don't bring up the peacock throne. They Davis still have got it, Mike. Yeah. They still have the peacock throne. No. Why wouldn't you give that back? You know you stole it. Just fucking be cool oh. and be like, hey, India, here's the throne we took from you. Do you like know why thousand. it's called the peacock throne? Um, oh, I've seen a pitch. Is it not just a stylized, it's got like, is it like peacock, golden peacock feathers? It's like a golden divan uh, throne surmounted by bejeweled peacocks. 
Oh, okay, yeah. So definitely the decoration. Now here's the transition I have into our place in space. Oh, okay. Now, uh, Delta Pavonis. You know, we talked about the last part deals with like its constellation of origin, like uh, Arius. Like Delta being the Greek or is letter, that what you mean? but Pavonis coming from the constellation. So yeah, yeah. So Pavonis, Pavonis means of Pavo. Oh, oh, and oh, wait, Pavo. Wait, 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 hold up, hold up. Is the onus the of part of it? Is. Is. Okay, okay. So Pavo. Okay, I'm on board now. So, uh, yeah, Draconis. Yeah, Canopus. Yes. Yeah. Now, uh, coincidentally, the Star of Caladan in the constellation Pavo. Do you know what the constellation <gasps> is? Wait, Mike, the doctor. Pavone. Pavone Harley. Oh. Pavone Harley. That's interesting. I'm glad. That's crazy. Guess what? Okay. The, guess yeah. what the constellations of? Uh oh. oh. I wish I could tie. It. I wish that doctor gave me some kind of context. It won't him. be the doctor. No. Is there? Is there a clue I should know? Yeah. Or everything like, we just talked about. No way. It's okay. a peacock. Really? It's a constellation of a peacock. Oh wait, wait. Okay. How does that like apply to the train? No, just like uh, how much came from uh, uh, British India and Persia is what we're talking about, and sort of like. I get, no, no, no. I, I get that, but for Frank to set all of this in that constellation, he probably just picked one. You don't think but, he? Okay, no, that's bullshit. I do think he picked it for a reason. I'll tell you with our place in space. <laughs> <laughs> you're, skipping, you're skipping sections, Derek. But uh, sidelined. It's like I got all the answers for you, Derek. Yeah, dude, you do today. Now, place in space. Here's the thing. Daniels didn't really have a lot for this section, and normally, okay. normally, I'm able to divide it very. Uh, very easily with his segments here. But this one was kind of blank. And I wondered why. Like, why you have all this stuff about Canopus. Like, why not about Delta Bavonis? So I had to do some research on my own. And uh, here's the little uh, the mic takeaway for our place in space for Delta Bavonis. I haven't had one of these before. Now this is currently in the process. Uh, Delta Bavonis, the star, currently in the process of becoming a red giant. Okay. It's increasing its magnitude as well because of this. And at 20 light years distance from Sol, it is one of the nearest bright stars to our solar system. So if you were to look up into the night sky and you see like four or five bright stars, one of those is most certainly Delta Pavonis. Ooh, okay. That's really nice. That's kind of cool, right? Yeah. So that's kind of cool. But now what's cool about this and why I think like maybe there is a little something here. Yeah. Uh, the mass of Delta Pavonis compared to Sol's mass is 99.1% of it. Oh, okay. It's like an extremely a, similar star as far as density goes. Very parallel. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, because it is growing, become or dying, I say growing, it's a dying star. <laughs> yeah. It's becoming a red giant. It's, uh, while its mass is the same, its radius is actually slightly bigger at 120% of the sun's ra uh, radius. They expand even though their uh, mass doesn't actually change. Mm-hmm. It uh, just has to do with, like, the conversion of, like, one element to another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and the energy it's producing. And the energy it's producing it, because like, of that. Up. And I know I loved uh, every time they tell us how our solar system's going to die, they're like, oh, yeah, the sun's just going to eat this entire planet. Like, it's, <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> yep. Now, this is kind of cool. Spectroscopic examination of Delta Bavonis shows that it has a higher abundance of elements heavier than helium than our current sun does. Now, Ooh. all... All stars have metal in them. Yeah. Uh, varying degrees. Sometimes they take it from something that comes too close. And the sun just sort of swallows it up. Other times from chemical reactions. And eventually, you know, uh, I don't know how much everyone knows about how uh, star life cycles. But they'll, uh, they start with 
uh, helium more or less. And then those chemical reactions with fusion lead to, he- oh, sorry, uh, hydrogen. They start with hydrogen. Yeah. Then they, the chemical reactions lead to helium and then so on and so on until we get to bigger elements. But once you get to iron, it stops. You can't really get any more chemical reactions past iron. So when you get to iron and the sun just keeps doing iron, it, it stops making more fusion reactions. Mm. And when that happens, the uh, balance between gravity holding all that uh, fusion energy going out, yeah, as well as like the uh, energy exerted from the fusion, it's usually in balance. That's what keeps a star in its form. If that's ever disrupted, the star will collapse, explode. All sorts of terrible things happen. And actually, when uh, we compare things with how much um, it's called metallicity, they measure the amount of uh, elements heavier than helium to discover like how much metallicity it has. That's interesting. I never knew that was like a measurement of a star. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense though. Well, it gives you an idea of its life cycle too. It's like, well, this thing's like this mass, this density, it's got this much metallicity. It's going to die in about like 34,000 years. And insane that we figure that out by just looking at the light ray. Yeah, spectrographs are fucking cool, man. Yeah, yeah, when you break that down. Now, I'm uh, reading on. Uh, I would say Daniel says, like, no, Mike says. Really, Wikipedia says. Ooh, okay. Hello. That's some delegation. <laughs> this value is typically given in terms of a ratio to iron, to hydrogen. Uh, the reason we use iron is because it's a good proxy for the presence of heavier elements, and we really stop production at iron from there. Sure. Anything heavier probably just got uh, sucked up by the gravity from something passing by. Gotcha. Like, it's just... Uh, or happened to be there when we started, the, like, when all the mass was collecting for the sun. It just happened to be present as well. stance, yeah, yeah. Um, and that we don't really account for as much. Now, uh, the last thing I have here, Delta Bimonis' iron abundance is 214% of that of Sol. Oh, shit. It's, pretty, it's, it's pretty close intense. to done? It's, it's getting there. It's currently turning into a giant. It's like, the, it's a dying star. That's all... It really comes down to. I mean, is that still like tens of thousands of? Oh, years? it's got it's got it's got billions of years, I think. Oh, oh, okay, cool. It's okay. <laughs> yep. It's yeah, no, I say dying, but like it's been dying for probably Cosm- a billion no, years. No, no, cosmic scales are yeah. fucking weird. You know, I, we're ants. I just want to know, like, is it me? Is it my kids? <laughs> no, it's no. It's probably no human. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Yeah. Studies have shown a correlation between abundant heavy elements in stars. And the presence of a planetary system. Oh. Which is kind of interesting. So, is Del- it, wait, wait, is that like, is that a real fact? Yeah, that's know? a real fact. Okay. Now, <laughs> like a, real facts. That's a real, sorry, that's a real correlation. <laughs> nice. No, that's a good yeah. touch. That's a good touch. We, we, we got through three body problem. We know what this is. <laughs> yeah, we know what that means. Um, so, Delta Bavonis has a greater than average probability of harboring planets. Daniel, I love this. You're counting everything cool. perfectly. So uh, there's no, we don't know for sure there's any plants within that system, but we know from patterns we've seen and the data <laughs> we've collected. we know for sure there's one planet missing from its system. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. We just know it has a higher probability of harboring planets within yeah, its system, because which is kind of cool. Because of its metallicity? Yeah. Yeah. And how similar it is to Earth as well. So the way that this star formed is probably similar to the way that Sol formed as well. And we know that Sol has got eight planets, mm-hmm. possibly nine somewhere out there beyond the other ring. Yeah. How many of them do you think have life, Mike? One, at least. <gasps> you don't think? <laughs> probably one? two. Oh, at least three. You think three? I think Europa. Europa's not a planet. It's a planetary, planetary body, right? It's a satellite. It's a satellite. Yeah. 
You know what I mean, though. <laughs> Pluto's, Pluto's not a fucking planet anyway. Don't get me on the legitimacy of planet, Mike. We're talking about life. Life is clearly the more important bit I mean in there. And you want to like, I would, well, that's not a planet. I would, I would say Europa and Enceladus might have some life. Thank you. Mars definitely has something there. Yeah. Probably not Mercury. <laughs> nah, you know what? If there were ever going to be lizard men somewhere, it's going to be Mercury. <laughs> Fun fact, though, uh, not related to any of this. I just sure. thought everyone would enjoy this fact, is that we spent, despite, you know, the order being Mercury, Venus, and Earth, we spend more time next to Mercury than we do Venus. Our closest planetary neighbor is actually Mercury. How so? Uh, they're on opposite sides of the orbit. Ah, uh, that's a good one. Yeah. I like that. It's a good technicality. It's, it's a good technicality, but yeah, it's also yeah. kind of funny. It's a super nerdy joke. <laughs> yeah, like, it's really uh, good. Well, actually, uh, <laughs> if, if we take a measuring tape and go, uh, that's like uh, that bit we just when you learn like, like Pluto and Neptune switch places for mm -hmm. a temporary point of their orbit. Like, I, I love that little kind of bit. Yeah. It makes you see like how just whimsical our system is it's all just by chance like none of it matters like well how like how difficult it is to like uh understand that like an orbit is not a constant thing like it's, it's just not, constantly it's, falling closer sure and yeah. you know the positions of everything distance away it's going to change like what's closer at what time yeah I was it's hard it, to be it's like all relative yeah. you, like. you could make a calendar but it would be different every year mm-hmm mm -hmm. Which is kind of fun. But that's Daniel's Dune Gazetteer for this week. Oh, Mike, that wasn't nearly as long as I... You made it seem like we were going to be around. Well, I, I told you ahead of time. It's like, you can't stop me, Derek. I got to keep rolling. <laughs> sure, you did mute my mic a few times, I think. <laughs> I was talking, and you just kept going. <laughs> but uh, do we have a distance this week? I, I don't got anything. I haven't seen Giovanni all week. Oh. I'm a little worried. I'm, I wait, think I might put a little warning second. out. I'm getting a call. Yeah. Oh, it's Giovanni. How did, he has my number too. <laughs> no, he's calling me. Hey, hey, buddy. Yeah. Oh, really? Wait, why didn't? Okay. Yeah. No, I'll wire you some money. All right. Cool. Bye. I mean, you can tell me if you want. Oh. To <laughs> no. I, I wasn't on the other end of that phone call. He's <laughs> no. stuck in a terminal somewhere. All right. I guess, uh, Yeah. I guess uh, he, he couldn't catch his flight. Do we do we need to get another bat? I don't know. I, mean, I just I just don't should, know. I don't, we should have this conversation before he gets back. Uh, it's probably, all I'm saying. Oh no. Yeah. I just understand why he had to like get a flight and not fly here directly. Yeah. Or he couldn't like use the ED over the phone. Maybe that like doesn't work. I don't know. Again, he has my number two. <laughs> um, I guess that kind of brings us to the end for the week then. Uh, I guess that's it. Well, does anyone have a question for us? Uh do you guys perhaps know a wine we could afford? Let us know. We're at Spice Will Pond on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you guys could always send us a distrans via spiceworldpod.com, though I can't guarantee it will get here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, there's a website at spiceworldpod.com. And if you're looking for a way to support the show, come join us over at our little sketch on patreon.com slash spiceworldpod. It's where you can find our exclusive Between Two Dunes episodes. Things like Ampoleros, Guild oh. Highliners, Norma Sevna. And Mike, we're getting ready to sit down for our next one that's coming for February. Which will probably be released by the time that this airs. Famous Harkonnens. Ooh. I am stoked. That'll be exciting. It I'm actually be. pumped for that. Um, Derek. Yeah. I want to know what's happening next week. Are we going to do The Water of Life? Uh, well, Mike, I, I felt like I actually prepped you very well for this uh, little teaser I got here. 
Uh, Who fear looked in the mirror? <laughs> yeah. I know your games. His ink fine scar wriggled while he smiled. No, no, no. It's going to be even more straightforward than that. All right. <clears throat> All right. Paul's consciousness flowed through and around her into the darkness. She glimpsed the place dimly before her mind blanked itself away from the terror. Without knowing why, her whole being trembled at what she had seen. A region where a wind blew and sparks glared, where rings of light expanded and contracted, where rays of tumescent white shapes flowed over and under and around the lights, driven by darkness and a wind out of nowhere. Who is she? Who do you think? I want to say Baby Leah, but I don't know who's actually there. Lady Jessica's there? Is it the Great Mother? Cheney? Is it Cheney? It's a terrible purpose. <laughs> We've well, been terrible purpose has been masculinized by us very thoroughly. I'm we like, did, but hey, um, do you know the word tumescent? No, it makes me think of fluorescent, though. I mean, that's, it's honestly that's kind of close enough with what it describes. So it says, uh, rows of tumescent white shapes float over, under, and around the lights, driven by darkness and a wind out of nowhere. Almost amorphous. Uh, tumescent, swollen or becoming swollen, especially as a response to sexual arousal, or two, especially of language or literally style, pompous and pretentious. Example, his prose is tumescent, which I was like, Frank, they're, they're writing. <laughs> <laughs> that just made me laugh. Oh, no. uh, otherwise, it's like swollen and become swollen, and I think you can kind of drop the sexual uh, arousal part from it. But Probably maybe, not like, the connotation that it's going for in this case. Or at least like maybe with the sexual arousal, you could infer like uh, it's kind of without will. Well, you know, like sexual arousal is sort of like almost automatic in some ways. Is all I mean by that. Oh, okay. Just sort of like it kind of happens like, uh, or kind of happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. an automatic response. But like, as you imagine, like I think we're looking at sort of an almost Alam Almathal and just seeing like kind of ghostly shapes sort of like forming and unforming before you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah is what I imagine. Oh. Yeah. Good adjectives, Frank. Yeah, it's a great word. That's pretty good. But yeah, so that's where we're going in the next chapter. It's definitely Paul. Something's I'm going to get my wish over. I think we're going to go into the prescience of it or the water of life and explore that. Definitely. Yeah. Do, I'm happy. I'm happy. We're definitely going. <laughs> I got one right. Uh, uh, linear progression forward in the story. Uh, we're just keeping track. We're going. Uh, like However, it. I think Frank is going to frame it in a way you'll enjoy. That oh. it, it will catch you off guard of like, okay. you're not going to be ready for how it starts for All sure. Right, we'll see about that. <laughs> I'll take that bet. <laughs> uh, I think until then, Mike, the, the spice, spice must flow. Okay, well, what if Audible does kill your mother? You still get to keep your collection. <laughs> Guys, it happens. Audible made you an orphan today, but you're going to keep that copy. You can hang out with other like-minded Spice Roller orphans in the orphan room. Yeah. Roll with it, Mike. We can always take a second take. Swing big, my friends. Swing big. <laughs>